In this episode of Find the Good News, I have a long discussion with Tony Bork, the pastor at Water's Edge Church in Lake Charles, Louisiana. He took me into territory that I did not expect from a Bible Belt pastor, especially when our conversation wandered into the cosmic nature of Christ. He shared his own vulnerabilities and an unapologetic love for all of God's children. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, and one thing was crystal clear by the end. Tony has a good heart, and he cares about people, especially those that may have been disenfranchised, disregarded, cast out, those shunned by society, and sadly, shunned by many other churches. Tony and I discuss that not only is loving the other a good thing, it's a deeply Christian thing. It seems that's what Tony Bork and the community at Water's Edge is doing, loving people as they are, and I think that's pretty good news. Wake up, it's morning, you're dreaming up a story I can hear the way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep on the path to your deliverance and a holy wall of light pouring through your window. Old news, bad news, fake news. Sometimes you just want to shut it all down and get no news at all. With Find the Good News, I aim to change that by focusing on good people doing good work. I visit with artists, educators, civic and spiritual leaders, musicians, business owners, students, volunteers, and everyday citizens who are using their creativity, resources, and talents to bring hope and happiness to their corner of the world. In each episode, I dig into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have street-level conversations about relatable things going on in their lives, discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that are anchoring them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news in the world. My name is Orrin Parker, and I'm going to find the good. started the show it was one of those things that you worry about anytime you stick something out there i'm sure you've experienced that before you're going is anybody going to listen to this is anybody interested in this is anybody going to come right uh whatever it may be i think most endeavors are like that but uh as soon as we got blessed with a, a few guests suggestion just started coming in and i guess it was your wife who had reached out yeah jackie yeah jackie yeah she saw uh someone had posted it i think on facebook maybe yeah and she's like this is a really good idea for these days yeah right (laughs) and then she told me she's like hey i recommended (laughs) yeah she did she did um and you know i don't know a whole lot about you really i mean Mm -hmm. i uh i know your family just from the dad my dad's video store right long time long time ago Yeah. yeah And uh, it's kind of funny how many people I encounter that that was like the first time I, I heard their name or I met them. You know, everybody back in those days, it was renting movies was entertainment. That was it. That was it. Especially in De Quincey. Right. Yes, right. right. Yeah. And that's where he put his first store. So and then, you know, small world, I guess, um, years later, uh, when I got married to my first wife, I think she had dated your brother. Small world. man. Yeah. And we had went to Water's Edge. A couple of times, but that was back, I think, when y'all were in Cinemark. Yeah, we started there at the movie theater. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's where we launched. We were there for three years. Three years. Wow, that long. I didn't realize that. Yeah, we were there, and it, it happened really fast for us. Uh, our first service, we started with 15 people. Yeah. Just sort of a launch team. Yeah. 
it was basically just me and uh, our worship team. It was a group of kids, my little brother and his friends, had started a worship band, and I'd traveled with them for years doing different functions across the state and other states like Mississippi and Florida, yeah. doing Disciple Nows and revivals and things like that. So they kind of grew up with me. So when we got ready to start the church in Lake Charles, uh, that same worship team had kind of grown up. Yeah, They were all adults, and we kind of just put everyone together. And we had a preacher, we had a worship team, we had some people to do kids' church and nursery. We just didn't have any members. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so we put the word out. In our first service, we had 180 people show up. Wow, man. At the movie theater. How did y'all get the word out? I mean, back then, that was... Well, what year is this? Okay, that was 07. 07, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've been going for almost uh, you know 11 years. Okay. Uh, right at 11 years. But we started in September of 07, and a year before that, I would meet once a month with that launch team, and we would just kind of think about, we, we knew that Lake Charles didn't need a, another church. You know, there's churches everywhere in southwest Louisiana, Sulphur, Westlake, Moss Bluff, Lake Charles. Right. But we did think that maybe it needed a, a different atmosphere, not a better atmosphere, but a different atmosphere. Yeah. Um, because, you know, there are certain people out there who probably have had very bad experiences with church. Sure. Or um, they've never really been to church. And that really hit me a long time ago when I thought that everyone in the South would go to church somewhere. And I remember I was at a a youth service one time, and uh, one of the teenagers there said, you know, I I never even heard about Jesus, you know, unless it was Christmas time. She's like, but I'd I'd never been to church. And I started thinking there was probably, you know, out of the hundreds of thousands of people that live in the surrounding area, there was probably a lot of people that was in that same situation. Sure. So we, uh, we had the idea of to create a, a different atmosphere for church, and I just kind of put the word out. I was at a movie one time, and before the uh, preview started, they had some like um, some advertisements. Yeah. And uh, one of them said, hold your next business meeting or birthday party here, and then it gave a website called National Cinemedia. Yeah. And um, I had just read a book from a pastor who started a series of churches and movie theaters in D.C., his name was Mark Batterson, okay. and, uh, and then he started a coffee shop in D.C. called Ebenezer's, and he would have services there on Saturday night, and he would video, He would back then, he would videotape them. Yeah. And then the next Sunday, they would show that videotape in all these different movie theaters. Okay. So they would have live bands and then a videotape message, gotcha. and I thought, oh, that's kind of neat. That's different. And so I just got on that website, and it had a little tab at the bottom that said Worship Solutions. Uh-huh. So I clicked on it, and it said that they, they have contracts, United Artists and Cinemarks, have contracts for people who would like to start churches in their cities. You just have to go through an approval process. Okay, so they were already catering to that particular need. Mm-hmm. Huh. And so uh, we, we got approved very easily for the Cinemark in Lake Charles. And at that time, it was a fairly new theater at the mall. They yeah, just kind of right. built it. I remember that. And so there was sort of a buzz about that, but we just kind of got our core group together and we just started doing like servanthood projects in, uh-huh. in the city. We would go out to uh, the neighborhood behind the mall. We'd give out free diapers and free food and play games with the kids and things like that and then we'd go do car washes and we would just tell people hey we're we're thinking about starting a church and uh and we had some connectors in that in that original group you know people whose wives you know worked in salons and they did hair so they were always talking to people sure so that first service just from word of mouth in those servanthood projects um we didn't do much advertising i think we had sent out a mail out but we didn't have too much money to cover the the area yeah it's brand new i mean you're brand new yeah, yeah. and uh 178 people showed up. It was almost 180. And uh, the next Sunday, the second Sunday, we had 130 people there, but uh, the American press showed up. Huh. And they wanted to do a story on a church and a movie theater because they had never heard of that before <laughs> in the religious section. Yeah. 
So that second week, they showed up, they interviewed me, and then they ran the article that week. So the third Sunday, 250 people showed up after reading the article. Uh-huh. And then um, it never looked back. Within a year, we were running 600 people. We were doing two services. They were staggered services, uh, two different bands, two different theaters. When you do a church in the movie theater, you have to get out 30 minutes before uh, the first movie starts. Okay. And so... Um, we didn't have time. Our latest service back then was 945. That's usually people's early service, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so after three years of setting up and tearing down, we would get at Cinemark at 7 o'clock Sunday morning, rain or shine. We had a big 16-foot trailer, and uh, we would unload all of our sound equipment, lights, power cords, duct tape, banners, nursery equipment, all that kind of stuff. I wondered about that. I was going to ask about those early logistics because I remember going and having thoughts like that, just kind of looking, going, okay, the, all this, where's all this at, you know, yeah. before the service? The, well, some some cine, cinemas, they will let you store them there. Okay, if you're like have a contract where you're going to be in there every... But Cinemark, they didn't have any storage. And so we had to go get a big trailer. And like I said, if it was raining Sunday on a sun, certain Sunday morning or if it was shine, sunshine, and we just, we had to unload. And, and then once it was over, we had to hurry up and load it all back up and go before they started selling tickets. Which was a problem during blockbuster season, you yeah. know, like if, if Star Wars came out or something like that, then they moved the movie times up. Yeah, so you've got a, a little narrow window a there. A narrow window, yeah. But um, within three years, we were running about 600 people. Numbers weren't important to us. We, we never set out to reach a certain number. We always looked at people as just people, you know. Yeah. But we knew, okay, people are sitting on the floor right, <laughs> at I Cinemark gotcha. and they're standing in the hall, so we, we need to do something. Time to make a, a move. Or, yeah. yeah. So at that time... Um, some people in our church had owned some land in Lake Charles, where we're at now, and uh, we ended up doing a lease deal with them, like a lease to own. Gotcha. And they had uh, they had built a building for us, and uh, we leased it for them for a few years. And then a couple of years ago, we ended up purchasing that land in that building. And uh, when we moved from the theater into our new building, in four weeks, we went from 600 people to 1,400. So wow. we, we, we more than doubled uh, in, in a month. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we never really looked back. Um and we just kind of keep going. You know? Yeah, and y'all are doing a lot, right? We, we we try to do a lot for the community. You know, I, I don't I don't really make any apologies uh, for the type of church that we are. Um, what do you mean by that? The we're, type of church? We're, we're we're a very progressive church. You okay. Know? Um, down here, you know, church to church relationship words like progressive or liberal or things like that would sure. be considered very bad. You know. Oh yeah, right, right. Um, I but you. I don't I don't make any qualms about it. You know, we're, right. we're a progressive church. Um, people can belong there before they believe. So like yesterday after our service, we had a young lady come up to us and she said, you know, the messages are really speaking to me. She's like, but I've been an atheist for a long time. She's like, but I'm thinking about um, exploring this again with God. Yeah. And, uh, and I told her, I said, that's totally cool. I said, you can you can serve in any area. You can volunteer in any area. I said, you can be a part of the family and you can, you can kick the tires. You know, because I grew yeah. up in the type of churches that had invitations, you know, and they were going to drag you down the aisle with right. hands on you. Sure, that's what I grew up in. I mean, I was Southern Baptist. I know. was too, yeah. And um, and so that's what we were used to growing up. That And, and I realized that that way of doing church for certain types of people would freak them out you know it it works for some people and some people would be in the gutter if it wasn't for those old traditional churches you know nothing wrong with that at all um but we just thought there are certain people that those churches will just never reach no you're right i i I tend to agree with you exactly 100 percent on that because i mean i've i'm probably one of those people you know because i'm an explorer and a a contemplator and sometimes when you explore and contemplate you end up with questions yeah and and i realized too that 
I had more questions than I let on growing up in a Baptist church. Yeah, well, sure. You you grew up. Okay, so let's talk about that. I mean, I don't want to derail your original thought, but I mean, talk about some of your early. Well, you know, my dad was a pastor. He's been a pastor my entire life, Southern Baptist. Uh, he's retired now, and him and my mom, they, they come to church with us. And so I grew up as a pastor's kid. Okay. And we grew up strict Southern Baptist. Uh, my dad was on staff at a First Baptist Church in Moss Bluff back in the 80s. And uh, back then, um, that church went from a little church of 100 people to over 1,000. Yeah. And very quickly. Wow. And that was unheard of back in the 80s. Uh, we had a very dynamic pastor. He's, in fact, he's back there now. His name's Dr. Steve Bennett. But my dad was on staff there. He was the associate pastor. So my whole life, I grew up in church. I had all the right answers to all the right questions about the Bible. I, I could tell you all the stories. Um, but I grew up extremely scared of God mm. uh, because my first experience, and I always tell people, um, usually your first experience with something dictates how you feel about it for the rest of your life. Sure, especially if it's early on. I mean, if it's powerful. You're yeah, and, and what you, you think about cake and vegetables, you know, the way cake is introduced to you is at your first birthday party with candles in it, you <laughs> yeah. know. And the way vegetables are introduced to you is your parents tell you, and your first memory is, you better eat that or you're going to be punished. You know? <laughs> right. So our, our thought of vegetables is punishment, even though it's good for you. Yeah. And our thought of cake is fun and celebration, even though it's bad for you. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because that's how it's introduced to us. You know, we don't, you know, for our first birthday, our parents don't bring out broccoli with candles in it, you know. <laughs> right. And so my, uh, yeah, my first introduction to, to Jesus and God and the Bible and heaven and hell was... Um, my first memory of a Sunday school class as a little kid, we go in and the teacher says, I'm going to teach you guys how to draw something today. We're going to do a craft project. And uh, he taught us how to draw flames. And then he taught us how to draw a devil in the flames with a pitchfork. And once we finished drawing that day, I mean, I was maybe five years old. Hmm. Um, the teacher said, okay, this is hell. And this is where you're going to go if you don't accept Christ. And that was almost like giving a pearl to a pig. You know, pigs don't know what to do with pearls. And a five-year-old, six-year-old had no idea what to do with that kind of information. Sure. It just scared me. And so I grew up very frightened of God. Um, and then I would hear stories growing up because we grew up in the 80s, and it was the camp meeting type of atmosphere. You okay, know, So right. it was very hot and heavy and hardcore preaching and revival. Yeah, and I've been there. And, and you know, if, you're, uh, if, if you have any doubts, then you're not truly a Christian. Or if you've had any type of backsliding, then you need to evaluate everything. And then I heard stories that if you don't pay your tithe, then your engine's going to blow up in your truck the next week. Yeah. And, and I would hear those testimonies from people. And, or, or someone said, you know, I, was, I, I, back, I backslid, then I got cancer. And, yeah. and you know, so I'm thinking, okay, so if I keep having uh, these, uh, these doubts, or if I, keep, if I have another dirty thought, I'm, God's going to kill See, me. See, and that, 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 that's that sort of... Uh, almost like a dark karmic view that so many people, even people who don't believe in God, I hear people talk like that. Well, that's karma. That's karma. They throw it out there. Mm -hmm. You do bad, you're going to get something bad back. And I, I, I just, I don't believe in that personally. And mm -hmm. I, I've always had a problem. I've had a, it stung me as yeah. there's something out of whack here with this. I mean, every youth camp I went to growing up, I would hear the same thing. Yeah. And so when I was around 19 or 20, I'd kind of had a, um, a turning point in my life. You know, that's when I, I started to really get serious about my faith. And I didn't want it to be my parents' faith. I want it to be mine. And so I did what I knew back then, and that was to become a very traditional, legalistic, Southern Baptist church-going Christian, you know. And uh, I was known probably back then for what I was against instead of what mm, I was for, what for yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I, I became a youth pastor very quickly. 
Um, and then I became a pastor. This was, uh, this was out um, in Starks, Louisiana. Okay. And then uh, from there, I moved to Jennings and pastored a non-denominational church there. And uh, during that time, when I left Starks and went to Jennings, I started a transition in my thinking. Um, and the one thing that was really sticking with me was the gospel means good news. Kind of like the podcast. You That's know? right, yeah. And, uh, and I realized that most of my teachings and my messages and my approach wasn't very, it wasn't good news. It was more scary news, mm-hmm. you know, about God. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I realized that I was doing a lot of uh, manipulating um, with what I would teach and my approach. Um, I didn't see it at the time. What do you it, mean by that? You know, I, I, would, I would make statements because I heard these statements, and it was all I knew. I got you. I would okay. make statements like, you know, um, if, you, if you don't have a conviction about this, and all these other Christians do— and you all have the same Holy Spirit, yeah. Then maybe okay. you don't have the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? It's no, just stuff I get like it. That, yeah, you know? I've heard I, even today. I mean, you'll still hear see people make the same sort of yeah. argument or point. And, and I realized that number one, I I think that ethics and convictions are are situational. And I think, and you won't hear many pastors say that, but I do think it's situational. And I do think that different people have different stories, and therefore they have different convictions and things like that. But but what really got me to turn around um, was I started to hang out with people that were different than me. And I started to read uh, theologians and then non-Christian authors uh, just about the world. Because I, sure. I, I guess I was given the impression growing up that the world had nothing to teach me. Mm. And I had everything to teach the world as a Christian. Yeah. And because, you know, you're, you grow up in church here and all the time, don't be like the world. Don't be worldly. Don't sure. be worldly, you know. And, and so, so you I, assumed all other parts of the world outside of. Yeah. I, I walked you, into McNeese thinking this English professor doesn't have anything to say to me. Right. And I have. You've everything. already got. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, but what that meant for us really growing up was, you know, everyone listens to Guns N' Roses. That means you shouldn't, you know, but I liked them. You know? right, so, right. So I had this conflict in my soul, you know. I hear you. Yeah. Um, and so. So. While we, I was at the church in Jennings, uh, I had some conflict there because we were reaching a lot of unchurched people. Um, as my ministry began to transition, I began to teach more things that were more life application uh, that would help people on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Right. I began to talk about a lot of life issues. And so even back then, uh, there was a certain group in that church that began to label me as uh, I didn't preach hard enough on sin. Um, I talked about God's love too much. You know, isn't that a shame? Yeah. One, one, uh, one elder in that church said, Tony, since Tony's been here, he's bringing in all the riffraff into our church. Uh, hmm. And I thought at the time, I was like, well, I, I am that too. I mean, weren't we all? You know, right, like, this yeah. is the best place to be. I'm with you. So uh, from that, uh, I, I was there for two years, and uh, I think God used that situation to really uh, push me to take a step and come back home to Lake Charles. And to start a, a new church, you know, that was just going to be different. And so we started the Water's Edge in 07, and I was continuing on my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I realized was that doubts and questions and searching and thinking is never the enemy of faith. It's the brother and sister of faith. Mm. Um, and that was something that I had to come to grips with, that just because I had some doubts or questions about God or about something in the Bible, it didn't mean that I was losing my faith. It, it in my mind, it was going to enhance my faith, you know. Um, and then I just realized that a lot of things that I was taught growing up in religion was just, I don't know, I, I don't know how to say it, was just not right. You know, it, it, it was, it was, 
It caused shame in people. It caused false guilt in people. And so I really began to study the nature of God and, and who I thought God was. And I began to filter everything about God through Jesus. Mm. And I came to the conclusion that if it wasn't like Jesus, then it's not God. Mm. Because um, Jesus was the image of the invisible God. Mm. That's what the scripture says, you know. And, and I realized that a lot of our views of God don't line up with, with Christ and, and who Christ is. And so that was a big transition point in, in my life. Um, when we when we started the Water's Edge, you know, and, and one of our main goals was to start a church that didn't necessarily do like soul evangelism, you know, where we're trying to go out and trying to get as many people as possible to pray like a sinner's prayer so they can go to heaven one day, you know. Yeah, no, I understand. But we wanted to do something called servanthood missions, and all that meant was we wanted to exist to make the city better and to make the community better. And we wanted to serve. Mm-hmm. And when people asked us why, then we consider that an open door to share our faith, but not until then. Yeah. Because we were living in a time, and we still are, where people are skeptical of the faith. And then people of faith have really declared war on people who don't go to church. Sure. It's so much tribalism that. and things like that. Yeah, and, God. That's the word I use. It's true, yeah. It's tribalism. And, and there's a story out there that's there's there's a couple of stories in our world today that are very popular. One story is there's nothing out there. And then another story is um, our God is bigger and better than your God. And if you don't follow our God, he's going to kick your butt. He's going to kick your God's yeah, butt. It's, it's, polytheism kind of yeah and you can build a lot of buildings with that story and you can take in a lot of money and you can feed the christian machine with that story yeah but it's a it's a compromise and to me it was a compromise it didn't it didn't really um it re- didn't really discover what what the nature of jesus was and, and why he came and, and mm. what he was trying to do you mm. know and so we, we wanted to be the type of place that that if we ever disappeared uh, the city would miss us because of how we served the city. Yeah, and also my personal mission was I felt like, and I still feel like, there's so many people in our society who quit listening to the stories of God a long time ago because they were hurt or rejected in church or yeah. So there's those they're valueless at that point because they've been hurt. Yeah, I yeah. Get that they. So my my mission and our church's mission was to sort to paint a new picture of Christ for all those people who quit listening and maybe they wanted to try to listen again and so um so that's kind of what we're still doing we're trying to heal this broken vision of who christ is simply just through serving Mm. you know we and i tell people all the time we have nothing up our sleeve like we don't feed people and serve people because we're trying to get those people to attend our church yeah most of those people even if they do um financially they couldn't even contribute and so, you see what I'm saying? No, so yeah, a, right. a lot of churches out there, they would never say this, but they, they do believe this, that they want their church to look a certain way, to be in a certain neighborhood, and reach a certain type of people, because those types of people make a certain amount of money, and yeah. that allows the church to grow and build buildings and things like that. And we decided early on that that was never really going to be our focus. Our focus was, Because, I mean, honestly, where we built our church, it's in a place where there's no churches, and it's off of Highway 14, right across from the village, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the worst neighborhoods in Lake Charles. And so we thought, instead of running away from there, there's a lot of hungry people around here, uh, like like literally hungry, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, so let's go do that. And so a few years ago, uh, one of our members, her name's Kelly Stowecki, um, she would listen to a lot of our messages about serving, and she would come to a lot of our servanthood events. And she just got inspired to start feeding people out of our church on Thursdays. 
And it would start off like she would text me and say, hey, we, we, we gathered up food from donations Sunday and we fed five families this week. And then the next week or a month later, she would say, hey, we fed 15 people this week. And uh, that was about three or four years ago, maybe. And now we feed, uh, every week, we feed between 500 to 1,000 people. That's, an, that's every week? Every week. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then we go out um, also and we feed between 70 and 100 uh, people from the homeless community. That's what I've heard. Mm-hmm. So how does that, what are the, what's the logistics? How does that work? Every week someone volunteers to cook uh, about 100 hot meals. And then our team makes a bunch of uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for yeah. snacks. And um, Kelly and her team have developed a very close relationships with a lot of the people from the homeless community, and she mm-hmm. knows where they're at. Yeah. And that team just once they fin- see the food pantry is at the church, and so people from the surrounding neighborhoods who are hungry or lower income or just struggling, they can come and get a bag of groceries. Okay. And so after that's over, it's from eleven to two on Thursdays around two fifteen. Uh, that team goes out into the city and they find where the homeless are and they bring hot meals to them. And, okay. and sandwiches to them. And this is on the same day, on Thursday? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a long day for everybody. That's incredible. How many yeah. how many people show up to work, volunteer? Oh, man, that? there's 30, 40 sometimes. Really? Yeah, it's it's almost, uh, it's pretty much the favorite area where people, when people say, I want to volunteer, it's it's usually that area. Sure. It's I just very fulfilling. Yeah, yeah, well, sure. I mean, you're, you're fulfilling an immediate direct need. I mean, it's not sort of etherical and wispy that's out there, you know, mm-hmm. where you donate money and you don't ever see the result of what you're doing. I mean, you actually are going and putting eyes on a brother or a sister. Right. right and people ask us, why are y'all doing this? Y'all are uh, just contributing to homelessness. And Really? And t- so really people say that? Oh, I yeah. Mean, there are people I know that in the world who have those feelings, but I w- I'm curious. Y'all actually hear that from people? We hear that a lot. It's strong in the South. You know, um, people say, well, they could at least go get a job. At- why, do you, why do you think that is in the South like that? I, I think it's probably because of the political tone going on right now. You know, uh, welfare, people you know, taking yeah. you know taking my tax money and doing yeah. this and that with it. But what they don't realize is probably 90% of the people in the homeless community that we feed and deal with are all vets. They're all veterans. Yeah. And, and they have deeply struggled with coming back into society a lot of them have ptsd mm-hmm. and they can't really function and 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 they have been just tossed aside you know man i mean that kind of touches on something that's close to me i this isn't a popular viewpoint because i uh and honestly i don't say it out loud to a lot of people but i've got a point in my life where i'm kind of fed up with pretending mm-hmm. about it and i am very anti-war i don't believe in the just war right. there's been too many uh figures that have risen up in our history who have stood against war and violence without bringing war and violence to end it. You know, I think we have this idea that I just think is a complete uh, deception. It's that we can make peace by bringing war. I don't believe in it. I don't believe in any of that military industrial complex. I just think that it, uh, it feeds into this us versus them mentality that we're just kicking around, which I have come to believe is completely anti-Christian. It just is the opposite of what Christ came to talk about. It is, and that's us. that's when I talked about earlier about filtering our thoughts about God through Christ, through Jesus, because I'm, I'm anti-war also. It's funny, you know, a lot of people down here like to brag about how pro-life they are. Yeah. And I always ask them, I'm like, okay, so you're against war? And they'd be like, no. No, yeah, you know, if we're attacked, thing. you know, or whatever, you know. And I'm like, well, you know, you say that you also believe everywhere in the Bible, you know. And um, Jesus said to turn the other cheek. I said, but he also said, 
if the evil person comes against you to not resist them. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus literally taught the theology of non-resistance. Yeah, you know? right, exactly. And everyone likes to explain those verses away and say, yes, but, yes, but, right. you know. And these are the same people who are very conservative and they're very vocal about, they believe every single word in the Bible. I'm like, but Jesus told Peter to put his sword away. Right. And I'm happy, I know it. You've probably heard me mention filming videos, building websites, creating logos, or building brands on this podcast. Well, there's a good reason for that. I'm a brand builder, and my brand is Parker Brand Creative Services. My team and I have built countless brands in the Gulf Coast region, and a lot of our work in the travel and tourism industry is experienced across the country, and honestly, the whole world. We have our specialties, web, logo, package, and whole brand design, as well as video production and photography. But the reality is we function as a full service advertising agency to businesses that don't really mesh well with larger advertising agencies or just don't want to have in-house creative departments. But don't listen to what I say. Just go to our website, parkerbrandup.com, and take a look at what we do. We're a show it, don't say it team. Okay, you should definitely say it too, but you know what I mean. That's parkerbrandup.com. We think sideways, we push forward, and we'll get your brand up. So take this, you've earned it, a melody and chorus. You know. I mean, we're, we're, it's, it's everywhere in the mm-hmm. gospel. I, I agree. You know, it came up in the last interview, Gandhi came up mm-hmm. and uh, as a leader, a great leader in leadership principles. But, you know, if you read any of Gandhi's writings, I mean, he, his whole method of nonviolent resistance, he got that from the gospels. He, he literally said, that and you know one of the things he had said and it's in the film but he actually it's quoted somewhere and i'll probably mess it up but he said uh they asked him as he reads the bible you know he's a he's a hindu and he reads the bible and they said well you you talk about christ so much why don't you become a christian and he said if i ever met one maybe i would yeah he he, you know he actually tried christianity out first yeah right that's right yeah and and he didn't yeah his famous line was um i love your christ but your Christians don't resemble him. Yeah. In fact, the the very phrase that Christians love to use, um, love the sinner and hate the sin. Oh, yeah. And that's usually, they only usually say that when they're directing that towards the LGBT community. Yeah. But, yeah. but okay. they always say, love the sinner, hate the sin. That phrase actually came from Gandhi. When they were asking Gandhi about how Christians acted so unlike Jesus, mm-hmm. he was the one who said, well, you got to love the sinner and hate the sin. Right. And yeah. it's funny when you tell Christians that today, they're like, no, Jesus said that. I'm like, no, that's nowhere in the Bible. No, it's not. It's that's not right. in the scripture. Jesus never said it that. Is, it is used a lot. I've experienced it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Jesus actually said, love the sinner and deal with your own you're telephone right. pole in your eye you know he, right. said, he said hate your own sin love everyone else yeah you know? but it was Gandhi who said that yeah know? it's interesting you know I think we have a lot of misconceptions there's these little you know quips like that that get passed around and uh you know we get we've got some sort of mixed bag thing going on and I think that the I personally think that uh the voice of Christ sometimes just gets lost in the sea of all the our own thoughts and our own theology we make up all the stuff and then uh the peace of christ i guess is what i'm looking talking about maybe more than anything you know the love and the compassion i read something the other day and i don't know who wrote it and again another thing i'll probably say wrong but he said you know we we get really bent about the ten commandments not being on the walls in our schools and our courtrooms but you know we never hear anybody crying that we don't have the beatitudes mm-hmm. on the walls right you know? and and that's and i thought about it and i said you know yeah there's a whole different message there 
Yeah, it really is. You know, um, there's a section of the Mennonites who basically live by the Beatitudes. And uh, to them, that's where you start and that's really where you finish. And I remember um, when this last election happened, people were asking me, well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And this person or that person? And I would always say, look at the Beatitudes and see if their character and their lifestyle matches up with that. Yeah. You know, um, because if they're not peacemakers, if they're not merciful, um, if they're not, you know, like Christ in those types of areas, then um, they may not be the person that you should look up to, you know, because the Beatitudes is the way we live. I mean, it was it was basically Christ saying, hey, this is a new way to live. Mm. And this is how you reflect the kingdom in a world that's really turned around. Yeah. You know? We were just talking about that this morning at our morning meeting. They end up turning into these big discussions sometimes, and I really don't know how they get started. But, uh, you know, we were talking about what does that look like, you know, and how hard it is to make the kingdom of God live on earth, you know. And, and we, one thing that we talked about, it just kept coming back up, was just judgment mm-hmm. and uh, how much of it we have. And even when we think we've rid ourselves of it, if you really analyze yourself, you're, we still have these little um, sub programs that are just built into us from childhood, the way we were raised, the media we're exposed to, uh, maybe the church we go to. Yeah. And if we don't ever question those things, uh, we can't break that sub program. And so we're just kind of walking around creating divisions. And we, even if we don't think we are, so often we are. And I look at myself a lot. I mean, when I feel judgment now, I go, oh, wait, hang on. Yeah. Why have I, I mean, I, I do it all the time. I've clumped this person into a, uh, um, a little silo or a little sector that my mind has put them in, maybe the way they're dressed or who they're hanging out with. And even if it's something just a, a subtle and I pass it by, I still know that I'm doing that. Yeah. Uh, it's when it becomes vile that it gets, that I really notice it when I'm, when I catch myself saying, uh, classifying a whole group of people right. by this and judging them all, you know, and it's like you said, I have to expose myself. I mean, it's partly this show, to be quite honest with you, yeah. is uh, a bit of therapy for me in that regard because, you know, I want to meet new people. Right. And I know deep down that's not who I, these little pieces that are broken, I don't want to, I don't want to keep uh, feeding those things. Right. I just want them to end. You know, yeah. and the only way to do it is, like you said, to go expose yourself to new people and go, oh, my human brother, my human sister, child of God, right? you know. Uh, Every person that you meet bears the image of God. I remember one time right after we started The Water's Edge, I was sitting uh, at a restaurant. I think it was O'Charlie's. And I almost had like a moment. I was sitting around and I was looking at everyone. The restaurant was packed. And I felt like um, Christ kind of just impressed on my heart that everyone in there was deeply loved. Mm. and uh, and probably deeply hurting and it really it really changed um how i started to view people that weren't like me mm-hmm. you know i was just mm-hmm. like you know everyone here has a story everyone here has a past and everyone here has that that divine hum on the inside of mm. them that frequency, reverence like a, yeah, yeah just that mm-hmm. frequency that uh, that's the image of God. Mm-hmm. In fact, the very word judgment means in the in the Greek in the New Testament to separate. Yeah, you know. Well, that's kind of the my been my uh, <clears throat> my biggest struggle. I think you know because I only in the last couple of years began to reconsider my relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. 
um, for many, many years, I was uh, not not anti-Christian, but I just didn't want the label. And, you know, it's, it's sad because uh, I went to a church years and years ago that was in Lake Charles called the Church of the Brethren. You may have been familiar with them or not. I don't know they, if I've, yeah. they weren't around too, too long, but mm-hmm. it was built around a... Um, there were a lot of uh, AA meetings that were held there, and there were a lot of um, lesbian and gay couples that went there. Uh, but the church didn't have a lot of money, right? Um, but I was talking about them again this morning too. There was a poll they had there, like a totem pole, and it had uh, "Let there be peace on earth," and it was written in all these different languages around the pole. And at the top was a crown of thorns and all these sort of ribbons that hung off of it. And I remember when we'd go out there to do like a prayer circle. That hit like a sweet spot for me. Mm-hmm. I felt inclusion, <clears throat> love, uh, kindness, just all of these things that I hadn't really experienced as a Christian before. And so when we would have our Sunday, there would be like a Sunday potluck thing. And I remember I would I couldn't wait on till Sunday to go to that. Mm-hmm. And every time I'd go, I'd meet somebody new. And that was a really good experience for me. Once that church dissolved and I kind of moved away, I had a hard time after that because what I began, what I experienced wasn't inclusion. I saw tables being set, but you had to be inside to go sit there. Mm-hmm. And I just had this sense that not everybody was welcome. Yeah. And it wasn't really so much of what was being preached from the pulpit necessarily, but it was what was just being, you got the sense of what people would say to yeah. each other. You know, well we can't just let everybody in or well, they're not like us. Well, they need to change before they can. And I just, something about that sat wrong with me. And as, as the years went by, I I honestly just fell away from Christianity altogether. Not that I didn't read Christian literature, um, or really even still feel like Christ was a part of my life. I just didn't have a church. Yeah. I still struggle with that because what I did in all of these years is probably like you have said you did, I studied other religion and other philosophy and, and just anything. Yeah. I was hungry for God, but uh, God in all worlds. Right. And so ultimately in the last couple of years, just through some things that have happened in my own life, that God in all worlds view, I finally, I could just, Christ calls me back to himself and it all starts to make sense that all of it, everything, it's all, it's all, he, it's all filtered through him. Right. You know, and I, I finally started to get some things that I felt like I didn't get. Unfortunately, though, I still think uh, I still experience the closed door. The The table is set and we and we speak under the banner of Christ, but not everyone's welcome. Yeah. And that was something I had a deep, um, a deep concern about when we started The Water's Edge was when we first started The Water's Edge, um, the music was cool. The band was energetic. Um, I consider myself to be fairly engaging, uh, an engaging speaker, you mm-hmm. know, uh, probably not the best, but I feel like, you know, I can hold people's attention. We were very creative and video and all that kind of stuff in yeah. the movie theater. And so we attracted a lot of people from other churches right at first. Mm-hmm. People who thought we were cooler than their church. Yeah. All the music's cool. The yeah. environment's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to wear a suit. It's kind of trendy a yeah. little bit. You Tony's know in a t-shirt, you know, he's wearing a hat this morning, right. we, you know. He's got a chain on his wallet or whatever. Um, but I think what a lot of people thought was that we were a rebranded conservative Christian church. It's almost like we took 
just normal conservative Christianity, and we just kind of repackaged it with skinny jeans and tattoos. Yeah, yeah, I got you. And, uh, and as I looked out on, among the congregation, I was thinking to myself, no, 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 this, this is not what I set out to do. Because these people already had, not, not everyone, but a lot of these people already had a church. And, um, and I'll tell you honestly what changed. Uh, what changed was uh, several years ago, um, I began to study something that um, one of my favorite preachers, his name's Rob Bell, he calls the Cosmic Christ. And uh, I love Rob Bell, I've been listening to him for years. But um, the Cosmic Christ goes back to when Paul tells the Colossians that Christ is in everything and he holds everything together and everything uh, consists because of Christ. Yeah. You know? And that it also says that he has redeemed all things. And in the Greek, all things means everything, you know. And so something I realized was that Christ was all around us. In Isaiah 6, when, it, when the angels say that the whole earth is filled with God's glory, um, that's when, the, when Isaiah saw the vision in the temple and the angels say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the whole world is filled with glory. Well, that word filled means drenched or dripping. And the word glory means the significance of who God is. And so the angels literally say that everything, all of creation, the environment, everything is soaked with the significance of who God is. Like his presence and his fingerprint is cosmic. It's everywhere. And that's when I realized that I don't need God to show up. I need to open up my eyes and and take a breath and breathe in the divine. Mm. And that Christ was, if he was anything, he was inclusive. And so where I saw... Um, this kind of change our church was um, my wife, Jackie, she's a free spirit and she deeply loves Christ. She deeply loves God. She told me one time, she's like, uh, my, my spiritual journey was like a big wall with a thousand doors. In my entire life, I would open up this door. She was raised Catholic. And she's like, I couldn't see God. And so I would try this door and I couldn't see God. She's like, but the first time I walked into the water's edge and I opened that door, it was the first door that was open for me where I could see God. Mm. And, um, and so to me, that, that let us know that we were inclusive. But, um, but my wife, um, she was always the type to where if you told her something, she would go study it to make sure that that was the right way to believe. Mm. And, um, and so she had a big influence on my life. Um, I went through a divorce about six years ago. And a Jack, I got remarried about four years ago. I got married to Jackie, and um, and we'd just been on this spiritual journey of trying to learn about how inclusive Christ is. But one of the things that changed our church was uh, a part of my journey was how the church has treated the LGBT community. Yeah. And I have some good friends who are in the LGBT community. Um, I have some family members who are. And, um, and for the longest time, for years and years and years, I would always think that something wasn't right with the way they were singled out. Um, and what we were taught about those things. Mm. And so I remember studying that issue from a Christian perspective. But what I realized was that Christianity was this wide stream, and it wasn't, and I, I wasn't aware of that growing up Southern Baptist. I was always taught that the reason why we're Southern Baptists is because Southern Baptists believe the Bible, which indicated no one else really does. The Catholics add to it or take away from it. The Pentecostals add to it or take away from it. The Methodists, everyone adds to it, but not the Baptist, you know. So we're closest to the truth, you know. And so it was always this exclusive type of deal. Like we're the bride, we're, we're closer to the truth. And I was taught certain things and how to interpret the Bible in certain ways. And I didn't see Christianity as a very wide stream. Mm-hmm. But as I began to study different theologians from the Episcopal background, the Church of England, Catholic Theologians. There's a guy named John. Uh, what's his name? Jean Vignet, who started mm. a, 
a home for um, people who are mentally handicapped in France. And I read a lot of his books on community, very powerful for me, you know. And I realized there was a lot of theologians out there and a lot of churches and a lot of pastors and a lot of congregations and Christians who biblically affirmed the LGBT community. And they didn't do it in spite of the Bible. They did it because of their faith. And I I remember thinking like, wow, I didn't even know this existed. Mm -hmm. I just knew in my heart what I felt wasn't right, the way they were being treated. Um, But now I realize that I can look into this. You know, there's different different interpretations and different... And through my study, what I realized was, and what I think, is that the church has gotten that issue really wrong as far as their interpretations. Um, And so... You know, we, as The Water's Edge, we decided to be completely welcoming and completely affirming to the LGBT community. Uh, I took a series of three weeks uh, on Sunday nights, and I taught a three-week class on sexual ethics in the New Testament. And, and I just told our church at the end of it, I said, you know, we're, we're a church who's different. Um, we're not like the other churches. I said, but we're doing this because we want to be faithful to Christ and His love and His inclusion in the Scripture. And um, we had... Um, 300 people leave our church in two days and we lost $20,000 a month. And that's when it hit me that as welcoming as you say you are and as loving and accepting as you say you are, like I hear people, Christians say all the time, well, I love Mm -hmm. everybody, but Mm -hmm. I realized that when you start to really challenge people's just deeply ingrained religious roots and their beliefs, that it can get very hostile. No, it can. You and, know, and 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 the exclusion that I experienced, the friends that I have lost, the family members that won't talk to me anymore, the pastors that will never invite me to speak or call me anymore. Um, if that's even one percent of what that community, then the rejection they've experienced, then I don't even think we because I'm we begin to understand their heartache. Because man, I'm telling you. Um, I thought I thought I was going to have to resign and quit and shut the church down. You know, it was that big of a deal in Southwest Louisiana, and uh, that's when I realized that we we do judge, we separate, we're tribal, we're so exclusive, and um, and it broke my heart. You know, yeah. and so since then, we we recovered. Um, the church bounced back. Um, everyone there knows who we are and what we stand for. And as I look out on Sunday mornings against, uh, over the congregation, it looks like what I thought it was supposed to look like way back in 07 mm-hmm. when we started. It finally looks like that, you know? Yeah. Um, well, like we have people who come and say, I know nothing about God. Help me. Yeah. <laughs> I've never read the Bible. Help me. And to me, that's like, okay, that's a win. You know, that's, right. that's, that's something, you know? We, uh, we have had experiences like that. My son, uh, my oldest son, he's gay. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I, for years, have wanted him to, when I would talk to him about Christ, cosmic Christ, just what you're talking about, that's the view that I've taken myself, that everything is permeated mm-hmm. and bound and working because it is all. God is God put all in motion. The God, and I've told a lot of people, the God of the end is the God of the furthest star. Right. But we tend to like just focus right here in this, this little... Which matters, yeah. but but you know, it's a, infinitely yes, it does. But there's also all of this out there, and I I try to bring that to him, and then he doesn't experience the love of Christians, right? And so it turns it turns him away, and he, he doesn't understand. Well, I don't understand. He says how 
I understand what you're telling me, Dad, mm-hmm. but I'm telling you, why isn't that what everybody else is telling me? Why am I not treated that way? Yeah. You know, and it, it's, it hurt me and I didn't know it was getting as bad as it was, uh, until I had a, a Christian brother who come to visit me here. We were just talking about our children and I, and it's funny, it said the judgments and, and he says to me, um, that we're talking about what our kids do in school. And I said, well, my son's in uh band and he goes, Oh, what instrument he plays? I said, well, He's not really an instrument. He's in color guard. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh. And it was just a pause. I mean, and I felt something else enter this room. You mean he doesn't ride bulls in rodeo? <laughs> yeah. He, immediately, I felt um, judgment. And, you know, yeah. this is a person who would hug me on our prayer walks. He would kiss my cheek. Love you, brother. Mm-hmm. But we never really talked about our family. And so I realized in that moment, the, I felt judgment enter the room. Yeah. And I can't say anything about him because I've judged before too, but I just remember feeling a little um, angry. Yeah. I did. I was like, oh, I know what's, I knew what was next. And so the next kind of question was in the category of, are there any any other boys in Color Guard? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, one. Hmm. They do, they do dance and stuff too. Yeah. He's good at dance. He's really good. And I was trying to talk about my son like I do. I'm proud of him. Absolutely. Super talented. After that, I went, you know, I started, it kind of highlighted for me all the different experiences I was having like that. It's made me kind of reassess and I started going, hang on, this is actually happening a lot. Yeah. And it's not just about that issue. Not it's, Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> and so I said, you know, I, I, uh, I need to, well, it kind of led me to another story. One time I went with my father on a little day trip. I was out of school. I was probably 12 or 13 years old and it was a business trip and, he wanted to have like a father's Sunday and take me on this trip with him. And I went on this trip with my dad and, uh, we got to this place that we, and I'm trying to remember what it was called, but I can't, I just remember this. We got there and they told my dad, Oh, well, your son's got to wait outside. And I mean, it wasn't like it was out in the cold. It was just a lobby, mm-hmm. but they said, Oh, you know, your son's got to wait outside. And my dad said, well, I'm going to be back there for a couple of hours. And they said, well, I'm sorry. He'll have to wait outside. And so my dad said, well, all right, well, go ahead and pull up my account and um, let's go ahead and close it out. And they're like, excuse me? And he was like, yeah, I'm just going to find another vendor. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he was being extreme. But right. but it stuck with me because this is what he says next. He goes, well, I don't want to go anywhere my son can't go. Yeah. And I th- immediately started, that. that's a story popped in my head about my own son. I said, "I if my son's not welcome at the table. Right. I'm not welcome either. And Absolutely. it made me go, there's so many people other, not just for that one issue. There's people that are outcast for all kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit at the table because I look like I fit in. Right. But if you cracked my head open and my heart and saw what was in there, I might not be welcome. So I'm just going to go sit on the outside with everybody else who's not welcome. Right. And I don't know if that's something you've maybe felt before, but in some way, shape, or form, but oh. that was something I felt for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I have felt that in, in extreme cases. Um, and the thing about it is, you know, when you read about Christ, he always made his way to the fringes of society. And I always tell people, I'm like, if you want to be close to him, get close to the people that he's getting close to. And it was always the people that were rejected. You know, it was the oppressed. And uh, in our society today, 
there's so many people that feel that, you know, whether it's women or whether it's, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, whether it's racism or prejudice or the LGBT community or even the homeless, you know, the homeless are forgotten people. Um, there's people that have been pushed to the outside. And something I always tell our church is that we're, we're a place for the rest of us. That, that's who we are. We're, we're a place. Everyone else has a place to go. Then there's the rest of us. And that's, that's where we come in. Mm. We're a carnival, you know, and, mm-hmm. it's, and it's beautiful and it's amazing, you know. Um, and something that really stuck out to me was, you know, the top 2% of all suicides in America. So out of everyone who takes their life, the top 2% are uh, LGBT kids who grew up in Christian homes. And the top 40%, 40% of all the homeless youth today are the same kids who've been kicked out of their homes because they're gay or lesbian. Yeah. And to me, I was just like, man, that's an area where the church has failed. Yeah. Like they have literally failed. And they have... They have considered their interpretations and theology because really the best that we all have is just an interpretation. Like when people say, I believe what the Bible says. And I'm like, okay, well, the Bible says two different people killed Goliath. Do you believe that? Well, I mean, and so they try to explain that. Well, the Bible also says that women should never cut their hair, never wear makeup, never wear jewelry. I said, there's one denomination that still believes that, but do you? You know what I'm saying? Right. And so... Uh, I always try to tell people that, you know, in the scripture, Christ always made his way to the outsiders and, and, and to the rejects, you know. And when you study the scripture, um, it's a book that was inspired by God, but it's not God. Yeah. You know, and we have elevated it to to God. Yeah. You, you know? know, there's something that always stuck out to me when Christ says, uh, I will draw all mm-hmm. to myself. Yeah. And that just, it, it gets into that cosmic Christ, I at, at the end of time, I draw all to myself. All of you are drawn to me. I will draw you all. Yeah. And that the all part is the part that always stuck out to me. Not the sum or the chosen right. or the clean. I mean, maybe all will be made clean, whatever that even means, because I don't even want to pretend to comprehend that. I mean, <laughs> right. I don't know what that fully means right. in a cosmic sense. Uh, but the idea that my son, me, you... The, the, the forgotten. I mean, there are people that are forgotten beyond just the homeless. There are people rotting away in prison cells. Absolutely. Forgotten. Yeah. There are, you know, this is the dark side of the things that I, that have, that I sometimes end up thinking about is somewhere right now, probably in our community, there is some kind of abuse taking place mm-hmm. and we don't know about it. And the person who's being abused has feels like there's no hope and nobody knows who they are. Right. And yet cosmic Christ, draws that person to themselves to himself we have a young man in our church who's really big um in the the fight against sex trafficking Mm. he speaks to senators and representatives and he's always doing conferences at schools and hotels his name's rusty havens but he went to an event several years ago got inspired and man he just fights for it but you would you would be surprised where that happens even in our community here just women and girls, teenage girls being kidnapped and mm. forced into prostitution and things like that. And, and, uh, what, where are we, you know, what, what yeah. are we doing? But going back to the original thought, what I think happens is a lot of times people consider their interpretations and their theology more sacred than people. Yes. Right. And, and to Christ, people were the most sacred, mm. you know? And so I always tell people, Hey, I, I realize what you're saying and you're, you're very welcome to your beliefs. I mean, Christianity is a wide stream. But don't consider your beliefs um, 
more more sacred than the person sitting next to you yeah. because that person has the image of God. Your beliefs don't have the image of God in yeah. it. You have beliefs about God and who you think God may be like. But mm. the person sitting next to you was created in the image of God, mm. whether they're a trans person or a homeless person or someone that you disagree with politically. Yeah, they have the image of God in them, and so view people as sacred. Yeah, you know? and that that really that really did a, a lot of changing in, in my heart. You know, when I kind of grabbed a hold of that. Yeah. You know? you know, I think, I think ultimately people want to be recognized that they exist as they are and that they were, I mean, we make choices ultimately and we can make ourselves into something. Uh, but there is a big component of each one of us. That's just who we are. I mean, mm-hmm. any parent is going to know this. I mean, you have three children that are raised in the th- same home under the same rules and the same love and they give each one the same attention, they're not going to be the same. I mean, I know this, they're different. Their personalities are their own. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can see that from my daughter to my middle boy to my youngest. I mean, there's, they're nothing alike. Yeah. And, uh, I think that that's very easy to see. I don't know why it's so hard to take it out into the world. Right. Um, I don't know what that, where that comes from. I mean, you know, there's some talk that is out there, and I mean, I'd be curious to hear what you think about this. I mean, a lot of people say, well, that's evil. It's yeah. evil at work in the world that creates discord and separation. I mean, how does Water's Edge contend with something like that, like theology of evil? You know, you know like, and, and what God may do about it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do believe, um, I do believe in justice and the justice of God. But I don't, I don't look at that as like the other side of the coin, mm. you know, because like a lot of times you will hear people say, and it's usually in response to a Christian or a church saying, hey, God is love. Mm-hmm. Usually someone else will come along and say, yes, but he's also just, mm. or he's also uh, a God of wrath, mm. you know. And so what happens is it makes it seem like there's heads and tails with God and God's like a schizophrenic who can't make up his mind, mm. you know. And something I always tell people is that Yes, God is just because God is love. And, and the, the one thing that the New Testament says God is, is love. Mm. And so we start there and we end there. But the reason why we can say God is just is because he is love, because justice is making things right. Mm. It's not necessarily what we think like punishment. Right. You know, justice yeah. is the environment's broken and God will make that right one day. Like I, I believe that... Um, what happened to Jesus on Easter, the resurrection, I believe one day that's going to happen to everything and everyone. So I don't know what the mountains are going to be like when that happens. I just know they'll be different. Mm-hmm. That's justice. I don't know what the ocean's going to be like. I just know it's going to be different. Yeah, That's justice. And, and, and justice would be um, people coming out of sex trafficking. Yeah, sorry. That's all right. I didn't know if I did that by bumping the microphone. No, I, it's a, a three o'clock alarm. I, actually, it's very interesting because I that alarm's at three o'clock every day because at three o'clock every day I uh, I try to meditate on the divine mercy. Yeah, and what you're saying is uh, in a lot of in alignment with a book that I read. Uh, have you ever heard of Saint Faustina? No. Uh-uh. Uh, her diary is fascinating reading, and it. Uh, you know, it's one of these things that I think sometimes can get appropriated by a tribe mm-hmm. and say, oh, we own this. We own this teaching. We own this book. But when I read her diary, um, what I saw was just a cracking open and a pouring out beyond the boundaries of language we can begin to use about God's mercy. Yeah. And what is even that word mercy? I mean, she's 
she has some mystical experiences with Christ that just um, shatter everything, every boundary that we have placed on it. Yeah, shattered, thrown away, justice, uh, all of that. I mean, her her language is as what my big takeaway is that. In our understanding, uh, we want we, we think of justice as like vengeance. Mm-hmm. You know, we want a price to be paid for an evil act or, or whatever it may be, any kind of slight. We want to get ours back. Yeah. But in her understanding, it was that God's mercy, God's just, justice ultimately ends up looking like God's mercy. Yeah. It's not human. It's not uh, human. We can't understand it. Yeah, I tell people that all the time. Whatever you've been taught about God's love or grace or mercy, understand it's very, um, it's not sufficient. And His mercy and grace and love is much better than you could you could imagine. Yeah. So whatever you've been told how good it is, it's it's better because yeah. it's not it's not like ours. And to me, mercy seems a motherly. Mm. You know, and we don't like you know God's not a man. God's not a woman. God, oh, and look, let me tell you something. You say that there are people that will. Oh yeah, we'll skin you alive for saying that. Well, they, well, why do we call him Father? Well, the Bible is written during a patriarchal society. You know, that's what they knew. Why is it hard for us? I mean, I would like to know because I, I struggle with that. Why is it hard for us to understand that? I mean, as a, as people, I mean, a Judeo Christian driven world and society that we live in. Why is it hard for us to when we hear somebody say, "Well, God's not a man or a woman." Why does that freak us out? I mean, it doesn't freak me out, but I'm not saying me, that it's yeah. collectively. It does. But why does that cause such? It's funny. You know, I first started thinking about that. I was at a, I was at a conference one time, um, and a very fundamentalist, conservative Christian speaker from Liberty University spoke. And the title of his sermon was, Is God a Man or a Woman? And he basically took the phrase where Jesus told the woman at the well, he's like, you know, God's a spirit, and we worship him in spirit and in truth. And his point was like, he's like, God's neither dummy. He's like, God's a spirit, (laughs) you know? And I remember thinking like, boy, he just told us, you know, and that stuck with me. But even the very words of Jesus, Jesus even says that God is a spirit. He he doesn't have a gender, you know? But I think down here in the Southern society that we live in, and I'm not picking on it. That's how I grew up. We just grew up where the men make the money. The men are the head of the household. And we, we do have a society that's still very much male driven sure you know and so for us it's a very hard thing to wrap our mind around that god is not a man you know um when he's not he's he's a spirit he's christ is in everything and everywhere you know but but to me that word mercy seems to bring out the motherly nature of of who god is you know very very caring because you know the bible doesn't say that God is ready to judge or to punish. The Bible says all throughout that he's ready to forgive. And when it says he's long-suffering, that means he's extremely patient, you know. And uh, so to me, you know, that's that's where people should start, you know, with God and his love and, and his mercy. Um, but to me, like going back to the justice issue, like if someone was to ask, what do you think happens to evil or someone who does evil, say like, a Hitler or someone like that, I always tell people, I'm like, I don't really know. I just believe God will be fair. And it's up to him what that looks like. It's not up to me to decide. Yeah. So that's, that's all I can say is I just think he'll be fair. You yeah. Know, he's God. I mean, there, you know, in a lot of the Catholic theology and a lot of writers, you'll hear them say, uh, yes, we believe there's a hell, but we can't tell you anybody's in it. Right. 
because, because they believe in a purging in purgatory too. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. That there is a drawing back to, and, and so they can't claim anybody has actually ever went to hell. Mm-hmm. You know, not really. Right. And uh, we don't even. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I find that alluring, not as a free ride, not to say, oh, good, I can do whatever, go out and do whatever I want, but just that shows you that even the thing that we as human beings think is unredeemable in God, ultimately, mm-hmm. may be. Yeah. You know. And some of those things are sacred cows to people, you know, um, that God may be only a man, you know, when he's, yeah. he's just a spirit or the fact that, um, are you mean to tell me that the really bad people will not burn forever and ever and ever, you know? Well, we want that as, as it's a human thing. Yeah, it really is as human. I mean, yeah, we, we, we want that. But you know, when you, when you really do an honest look at the new Testament, I mean, just kind of strip away all of your preconceived notions and do an honest look at it. Um, it's very hard to come up with a very specific teaching on the afterlife. And in the Old Testament, it's rarely mentioned at all. In fact, the saints in the Old Testament didn't serve God because of what may happen to them after they died because none of them even knew. And that's a very, that's a very common thing that scholars agree on. You know, the Old Testament saints didn't know. So they weren't serving God or following God because they thought, what's going to happen to me if I don't? They just did it because God loved them and they loved God, you know. But even in the New Testament, I always tell people, Christ didn't come to save us from hell for heaven. Because if you're going to get rescued, you have to be getting rescued from something and for something else. Um, But honestly, the New Testament teaches that Christ came to rescue us from ourselves, for a life of good works and serving and discipleship, you know, and that's all throughout the New Testament. And then uh, the concept of hell is only mentioned a few times in the New Testament, maybe three or four. And each time it was talking about a literal place on earth that was called Gehenna, Gehenna. a trash dump. And every time it was mentioned in the context of not feeding the poor. So literally, even the even the the made up story about Lazarus and uh, and the, the you know the rich man mm, yeah you know, right the table the yeah, scraps, yeah right um, that was in the context of someone has privilege in this world someone has wealth in this world someone has the potential to make heaven on earth but instead during your lifetime rich man you caused more oppression more poverty you ignored the rejected you created hell on earth therefore let me tell you a story about what it's like to live in hell on earth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I so, and so, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of different, and like I said, Christianity is such a wide stream. And um, I realize right now there are some people who are probably going to listen to this. Oh, sure. But honestly, if you do an honest look at the New Testament, there's very good arguments to be made for um, a temporary purging of people. You know, um, the Bible talks about being purged and refined like in a furnace. And mm-hmm. so there could be a temporary purging of people. Um, and then they face Christ after that and, and kneel and follow him and things like that, you know. And so for people to say, no, I absolutely know for a fact what's going to happen, um, to me, it really, it's a very dishonest statement because the best that you have is just your interpretation of Scripture. And interpretations are man-made, and we're not perfect. And so none of our interpretations are correct. And something I think we've lost today is really we've lost the art of meditation and discernment. You know, that's why I think it's neat what you said about your three o'clock alarm and what you what you focus on and what you meditate on, um, the divine mercy of God and things like that. You know, 
we've really lost that art today because back when you read about the early church in the book of Acts, they didn't have a Bible. Right. That wasn't, didn't exist. The New Testament wasn't written. It was just past, yeah. Yeah. Right. And, you know, through, through the next few years, letters were starting to be written and they were circulated, but we don't even have all of those. Right. It was first a, and, yeah, first and second Corinthians is really third and fourth Corinthians. We don't even have the first two letters, you know, so who knows what, what was in those letters. But all, all I'm saying is the early church made such an impact as they followed Christ at that time in history with no New Testament. You see what I'm saying? But yeah, they had discernment. They had the spirit. They, they, they had meditation. They, 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 they walked with the presence of God, and, and they walked in the love of God. And I think we've lost that art today. Like People will say, well, what does the Bible tell me to do? I'm like, well, the Bible doesn't really talk about this issue. Right. But what's going on inside of you? Like, what, What's the spirit doing, or, or what's your spirit saying to you? Or, or what impression do you have that you just really can't shake? Because sometimes that's how you know. That's discernment. You know? mm. And I think we've lost that art today. Um, Especially with people that are different than us. I've met people that the church has written off as unchristian, non-Christian. They're not in our tribe. They're not a part of us. And these people were more Christian than anyone I'd ever met in my life because they had the fruits of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace. Mm. And and these people did claim to be Christians, um, just not like what other people thought they should look like. But getting around these people, I could feel and sense grace Mm. i could sense love and comfort i could sense inclusion and acceptance and forgiveness and i could sense god you know but then i've been around other people who were i mean they people lived squeaky clean wore their suits to church read their bibles every day prayed every day they believed everything the church told them to believe and i felt nothing but exclusion and judgment around you know and so the art of discernment is something i really think you know, we should really come back to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've had, I've said similar things about my son. It's interesting. You, you just said what I say about my mm-hmm. son, uh, often to people is, you know, I see forgiveness, mercy, kindness, compassion, joy. I mean, here's a kid who, when he sees somebody who's got a problem, he goes out of his way to talk to them and listen to them. I mean, then come home and even talk to us and ask how he can help them. I've been seeing him that way for years. I mean, you're talking about somebody who, for at least six or seven years of his childhood was tortured and bullied yes. by other children. Which I can't stand. I mean, it was terrible. I yeah. mean, for uh, for being Breaks different. my heart, yeah. You know? He didn't even know. I remember those early years. I, every morning, it was a therapy session to get him out of the car without crying, you know? Wow. And it was just because he was he was just different. And even back then it was just, he was just different. I don't know the word. He didn't have a word for it, but the kid's word was gay Mm -hmm. and fag and all that stuff. And so he would come home and go, but I don't even know what that really means. I just know that they're using it to hurt me. Right. Well, as he got older and he starts to settle into his identity, he got a strength from that, you know, to get through all of that stuff. And so it created a tender heart, mm-hmm. a kinder heart. And so what I've seen, again, it was the same thing. I said, you know, my my son <clears throat> doesn't claim Christianity, but yet he exhibits all of the traits of what I I would like to see in my Christian brothers and sisters. Yeah, he, he's like Christ. Yeah, so yeah. what am I, so how are we supposed to take this? You know, this doesn't come from him reading the Bible. Right. It doesn't come from him being churched. Yeah. 
You know, he hasn't been preached at. Comes He's from just pain. It came from pain. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw that, that's where I, again, I turned to the crucified Christ because I go, and mm-hmm. here I see, you know, an example of, yes, taking on pain and suffering, but yet pouring out love and mercy, you know, this yeah. all, all for all time. Right. And so, you know, that's, that's something I, I guess, struggle with, I guess, when I see other people, kids that are rejected or just adults or anybody. Yeah, it, it, it's one of my big, um, my big issues that I was bullied as a kid, um, not because of anything specific. I just changed schools in junior high and the school that I ended up going to, my mom was a teacher at. And if kids don't, don't like your mom, <laughs> they don't like you. Yeah. You know, but in seventh grade, that's traumatic. Sure. So well, it's I formative. I mean, mm-hmm. you're at the... I remember just being bullied for probably my first six months at a new school. Didn't know anyone, didn't have any friends. And then when everyone figured out that I was good at basketball, you know how shallow kids are. They think you're the coolest person yeah, in the world. Yeah, then you so, fit in. You're doing something. <clears throat> then yeah, you, you got friends. In. But I remember that never left me all throughout high school. Anytime I would see kids being bullied or picked on, I never wanted to join in. I always wanted to stop it. And that was something that I, st- I still deal with today. Anytime I feel like there's groups of people that are being pushed around and bullied, yeah. or even individuals, I, I want to stop I'm it. I'm the same way. I don't, yeah. I've always said it's an underdog gene. It just kicks in, and I'm like, hey, hey, no. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, somebody's got to go say something. It's like my greatest concern. Like yeah. pe- about even about my kids. Like I have a, my son Jagger is nine years old, and then my stepson Aiden is 15. And like, I don't really have these fears that they're going to get arrested or, you know, not be successful. My greatest fears for them is that they will be rejected and and bullied and and develop some sort of deep hurt that they don't get over. You know, I know I can't protect them from and I want them to live life and experience life. But I'm I'm really uh, that's one of my biggest fears. I just I I can't take that. Yeah, it's difficult. I was the same way as a child. I um I was kind of picked on and bullied a little bit as I got older. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't. Ch- I didn't change, but I got bigger. Yeah, and that's you were really always sad. cool, though. I mean, young. I remember you in De Quincey. Where I mean, everybody's like, "Man, Orange's cool," you know. <laughs> well, I could draw, and so that was a sort of an okay. It was a way in. Everybody, it was like you had a special superpower if you yeah. could draw or if you I could play that. music, you know. Yeah. And then when you're a kid, it's kind of fun. Oh, my friend can draw, and so that was sort of a doorway in. But I was a pretty, you know geeky kind of kid in my head and then just my whole demeanor but i think because i got just bigger in uh size it just sort of left people didn't pick on you as much yeah, do you know what i mean with you. Yeah. yeah even though i was like a total you know comic book nerd or whatever back then that was yeah. not wasn't cool to read comic books back then now it's cool yeah. but you know so yeah I, I was easier for me but my son wasn't large in stature he's a very a smaller you know young man and so that he didn't it, it was just prey just like throwing blood in the water, man. Yeah. And so I hated that for him because I, I wanted to be I wanted to be with him at school. And you know, again, getting back to Cosmic Christ, that was the message I wanted him to know. Was yeah. that, you know, I know you feel alone. I know you feel rejected. I know you feel like you don't have a friend. And even me as your father telling you, I'm with you, I love you, whatever you need. I wanted him to know that Christ was all that infinite. Right. I, I whatever I'm offering, Christ is beyond that. And you know, for me, it was like I have to be Christ for him. Yeah. As much as possible. 
I, and but I've I've always wanted my children, all of them, to experience the love of Christians. I mean, right. I, I I don't know yet that they fully found that or that they fully experienced that, but I want them to have that. Well, Jackie and I, we encourage uh, Jagger and Aiden. Uh, we encourage them to be themselves, to discover who they are. You know, um, and one thing that we don't do that that I went through is they don't have to be at church every time the doors are open or anything like that, you know? Um, but you're not trying to put on a good showing. It's no, like, Hey, you're the pastor's kid. You need to be here. It's not that kind of thing. No, it's not that because I don't want them uh, later on in life to, to look at their faith experience as something that was negative. I, I want them to enjoy. I, I want, I want our, my boys to grow up thinking, yeah, Christians, they're they're the ones who feed people. Yeah, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. Chris, there's the ones who 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 love my gay friend. The, yeah, Chris, yeah. They're the ones who serve the community instead of oh yeah, church. They're gonna get onto me about my music again and get onto me about you know uh, my language again and you know what I'm saying or yeah. or whatever. What, what you know? Those are just uh, small examples. Um, but I was always growing up being taught. There's all these things that you don't need to do, so don't do them. And let me talk about them every week so you don't forget not to do them. These yeah. are bad things. Yeah. But I was never taught growing up in a church that, hey, if you go to school and someone's being picked on and you're a Christian, go sit with them. Yeah. Be their friend. Stand up for them. Mm. Love the rejected. I was never taught things like that. But then Matthew 25, Jesus even talked about the final days when he says, on my left hand there will be... The goats on my right hand, there'll be the sheep. And uh, I'll say, y'all can enter the kingdom. And they'll say, why? And they'll say, well, when I was hungry, you fed me. Yes. When I was thirsty. And they're like, when did we do that? And he's like, well, when you do it to the least of society, you do that for me. Right. I was ne- I'd never even heard that passage growing up in church. You know, it yeah. was never even, uh, our faith was never ever really about making the world a beautiful place. Because I think at the end of the day, beauty is going to save the world. Agreed. I, I really do. I, I that, I'm very into art. I've always been into art. I love music. I love all types of music. I love alternative music, um, and I just, I just, I just like creative things, and, yeah. and I like beauty. You know, yeah. and um, and I think at the end of the day, our society just needs beauty. And one of the reasons why I really love what you're doing, Oren, is because you know that old parable that everyone says you know a grandpa is talking to his grandson and the grandpa says there's two wolves inside of you yeah right which yeah. one do you feed yeah, yeah. Wh- whatever one you feed is the one that's going to win and yeah. i think today we're living in such a society where outrage fear tribalism has separated us people are, are mad people are angry people are scared people are uncertain and uh, and when you turn on the TV or when you get on social media, it's really a lot of bad news. Yeah, right. You're right. And so this podcast being about what's good, you know, what's beautiful. Yeah. I, th- I think beauty is just going to save the world. And creativity, because if yeah. you think about people like Martin Luther King, you know, his creativity was born out of suffering and pain. Because the greatest creatives today go through a time of suffering because then you're forced to be creative. You're forced to retreat into your imagination and rethink things. You're forced to come up with different ways to deal with this or overcome this or defeat this. Some of the most beautiful uh, things our world ever has would come from you know someone like your son who was forced to deal with pain and suffering and has come out the other side extremely creative right. and ready to to contribute something to the world that could save it. Yeah. Just you beauty. Know, it's funny that you say it that way because uh, I was at Stein uh, – 
Home and Yard or Stein Lumber. I don't know if it has a secondary part of its name, but uh, I apologize to Steins if I butchered that. But I was there one day getting a key made, and you know, each of those keys on the shelf, they're just blank keys, you know. Yeah. And I was watching the guy make the key, and, and he cut a notch in it, and there's all that sparks and metal flying off, and it was just a loud, obnoxious noise. And I was in line waiting, and as I stood there and watched him make that key, I thought, you know, I'll bet you at, at right now, if he stopped chopping on that key, it probably slides into a lock somewhere, just yeah. at that cut. And it got me thinking about life like that, you know, that life sort of does that to you. You you start out one way, but then something happens to you and then you get that notch. And so that key that you are given, you're, you're, it's kind of like life's given, God's given you a key. Yeah. And so at that moment in time, that key works. Yeah. You know, that key works and you have a gift at that time and maybe that was all you need, but then something else maybe happens, he grinds on you or, or life grinds on you, whatever, you know, it happens. And as you go through your life, that key is just continually forming into something new. And it's not that it's a, it's not of value at that moment, but at each moment it unlocks a different gift or a new door. And someday at the end of your life, you know, or, or throughout your life, you have these gifts that come from the grinding. Yeah, and there's purpose in your pain. Yeah. It doesn't have to be wasted. Right. You know, it's not it's not a curse. I mean, it can be a blessing. And the blessing is to the other. We were talking about prayer this morning, you know, and how something that I've always kind of struggled with was um, making deals with God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I... I um, and I, I talked about this in an earlier podcast that, and it's and maybe it's just me, but I always felt like there was something just off with me for that. Cause I felt like I was bargaining like, well, God, if I pray harder, if I get down and ask on my knees and ask you harder, you'll point your attention. You'll point your attention at this person. Yeah. You know, um, Susie's son, Bill is sick and I want you, God, I, I'm asking you to point your attention at heal him Mm -hmm. uh what give them whatever they need and for me it just didn't work right i'm not saying i'm not saying that i've never prayed and something has happened that i went oh wow i I prayed about that but i i I never felt comfortable asking god so as i'm contemplating that and in our conversation this morning i kind of landed on this thought that maybe what what is prayer and again i could be totally wrong i'm just talking off the side of my head but maybe the lesson is in that god's trying to unlock us himself and us Mm -hmm. for each other yeah god loves Susie's son bill who's sick already right god is already permeating that situation it's already in full awareness it's already there but when I pray and, and, and say, God, I see them too, and I unlock my heart through the prayer, then God, I've opened the lever. God says, ah, now you see them the way I see them too, and I can unlock my love through you to them, which tells me that there's, there's something there. There's something of value. It's that love the other right you know and that's all he wants us to do god god isn't going to pour a new blessing on that person i don't it's not magic it's not the care bear stare you know what i mean like if we all you know stare together believe hard enough believe hard enough 
we're going to change this and God's going to then listen to us because we all did it. That's what God yeah. wants because he's waiting on us to do that. That actually puts God in a box. Yeah. I've limited God's full love and mercy that he's the faith. I've limited my own faith at that point mm-hmm. by, by the minute I even do that, because then I go, well, I'm saying that God is dependent on me waking up and saying, God, please look over there. God's already looking over there. Yeah. Yeah. You're I don't saying, know, am I that, saying anything? Uh, yeah. That makes I agree any sense? with you. Absolutely. Because I've always had a problem with that too. It's like uh, a, a pastor asked me one time, he said, you know, God can do what he wants to do and he will. So why do we pray? And I thought about it all night. And I went back the next day, we were at a camp, and I said, you know, I said, uh, I understand what you're saying. I said, but I don't, I don't pray to get God to do anything. I said, that's, that's not why I think I pray. I'm not trying to make a bargain or trying to force him to step into a situation because I'm, I have all this faith. I said, I'm just, I'm just praying so I can show up because yeah. he, he already has. I'm just praying to get to know him and, and to, to finally discover that impression on my heart because maybe he's leading me to do something. I said, but I'm not saying, oh, oh God, do this because I have faith and that makes that makes it that God has to do it. I said, that's not why I pray. I pray to get to know God and I pray so I can show up. Kind of like you were saying, so you can see. Yeah, like yeah. so yeah, because that's ultimately what he wants is for us to see each other. I mean, I say that's ultimately what he wants. Like I have some way to know that, but I do right. I feel like that's very, very important that we yeah. see the other the way God sees the other. Right. And when I pray to God, I'm not trying to perform some kind of spell or trick. I'm trying to unlock God in my heart. So and not that that's going to change that situation. It's going to change the relationship with the other, which ultimately, if we all just changed our relationship with the other, the kingdom begins to emerge. Beauty begins to emerge. Absolutely. Love grows. Yeah. You know, which is what we want. Yeah. Yeah, I got I got diagnosed a couple of years ago with uh, MS, multiple sclerosis. Really? Yeah, and um, it was during that time that I discovered a lot about prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember, you know, because when you when you get diagnosed with an incurable autoimmune disorder, the future's uncertain. You know, I take injections three times a week. Um, my wife Jackie gives me those, and I'll be on that medicine for the rest of my life. And you know, I could lose my eyesight, I could lose my ability to speak, I could lose my ability to pick up my son or throw a football, you know. Sure. And so I remember laying in the hospital for eight days, um, getting an IV infusion of steroids to suppress my immune system, because my immune system is what attacks my brain. And I was just kind of, woe is me, praying, asking for healing. And uh, Jackie looked at me and she's like, have you thought about just thanking God for what you're going through? And I was like, no, but okay, whatever, I will, you know, smarty pants. And, uh, and so uh, that's what I did. And I realized that that's all I needed to do in that moment was just say, hey, God, I don't know what's going on, but yeah, I thank you. I thank you for all this. I know, I know I'm going to be able to see something about myself through this. And, you know, ever since then, um, I don't really have any issues with it at all. But it's this constant thorn that reminds me that life is very uh, unshaky. Mm. It's it's very uh, uncertain. I mean, yeah, right. It's it's very uh, filled. With, it's filled with pressure. Sure. And uh, and it really helped me to stop looking past what was in front of me to the next thing, mm. because it it made me realize. Like my dad just got diagnosed with two different forms of leukemia. 
very aggressive, and leukemia w- will take him. Um, we tried one one round of chemo. The chemo almost took him, so he can't do any more chemo. But he just retired. You know, enter into this last stage of life. Let me hang out on the porch and just have a good time. No worries. And now there's a new battle. Now there's a new battle, you know. And it, it just reminds me that a lot of times I think, and this goes back to opening up our eyes and looking for God every day and because he's, he's, he's soaked everything around us. We like to look past and... Mm. You know, like we, we, we won't we won't listen to our husband or wife tell us something that's important because we're looking past what they're saying to what am I going to cook for dinner or, you know, uh, uh, what what am I going to do in 10 minutes instead of just stopping and mm. saying, what's going on in front of me? I'm eating a burrito. Can I taste the cilantro? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? An awareness. Yeah. I mean, just an awareness of stop, stop looking past what's going on in front of you. You know, because what's going on in front of you is God. Yeah. And there's God in the conversation with your wife. Just stop and enjoy it and listen for him. Mm. You know, there's God when you're throwing a, a football or playing a video game or listening to some cool music with your children. Just, and even if it's non-Christian music, if it's just beautiful art. Sure. Which most Christian art's not good art. And, and, and horrible art doesn't glorify God, you know. You can find better theology in a Radiohead song than you can most modern worship today. Well, I mean, you know, that's true. I mean, if you're looking, God's all around. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's. I think what's keeping people away from God is probably what was some of your original questions when you were young was uh, that this vengeful, angry sort of father with a ruler in his hand, you know, that's just there to smite yeah, one more, one more dirty thought, and there's a lightning bolt with your name on yeah, it. Yeah, and we and then a lot of I think a lot of people are driven away today. My wife and I at lunch were having a conversation about that, where you know when you encounter someone that says, uh, just like you'd have atheists who come to the mm. to Water's Edge, you know, the first reaction isn't to try to evangelize them. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like you know, look, maybe just an accompaniment and a conversation, and letting them talk about talk about the grievances that they have, why they don't yeah. believe in God. And sometimes if you just accompany people, you start to discover that it's really not that they that they don't believe in God. They've just made a choice to not believe in God. I don't know. There's a difference between yeah. really believing something and then just choosing something. And it usually comes out of a pain. It, it comes does. out of something that's happened where they've been hurt. My experience too is I have I have a good friend of mine who's an atheist, and he started off as a pastor. Um, he's from the area. Uh, he used to uh, he used to teach me jujitsu. You know, a lot yeah. bigger than me, but he he beat me up a lot. <laughs> but a very smart guy, you know. But his battle was more uh, when he was leaving the faith. It was more he couldn't reconcile some intellectual things. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he really, to me, that seems to be a rare case. Honestly, most people that I've met that identify as agnostic more than Yeah, atheist, agnostic. I would say the same. Yeah. Um, it's simply because something happened with the institution of church and mm. Christianity or whatever religion they were in. Yeah. And they couldn't deal with that. It's not necessarily, because they'll tell you, I'm sure there is a God. I don't know. I just don't, I don't really care anymore. They don't worry about it. Don't, don't think about, about it. it. Yeah. yeah. But what they, what they can't handle is the division and the uh, exclusiveness and the politics of the, right. of the modern day church? You know? I get. I mean, look, and I get that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do. I do too. I tell people all the time, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go to church if there wasn't a Water's Edge. 
Like, and I'm the pastor. And so like, I, I have seen enough of the good side and the bad side of, of organized religion and, and institutional, you know, institutionals, uh, institutionalism and, and churches. I've seen, I've seen behind the scenes. I've seen all those things to know that a lot of what happens is not driven by God. Yeah. It's just religion. It's and it's people, man. We have I mean, look, we're we're creatures that uh we've learned a lot of our behaviors. Yeah. It's just nurtured into us. I mean, and, and like you said, getting back to what we're seeing in the world today, uh, it's sort of poisonous. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. making us better. No. There's way more bad information. Not no, hang on. I mean, that's not fair. There is good information out there. Yeah. But <clears throat> It's not as uh, seductive. It's not as enticing. It's not as juicy. Mm-hmm. And so that that hot, angry stuff that's being pushed out there, it's just discord, but it's so interesting. I mean, it's like they yeah. say, it's like a train wreck. You can't, People we want we break it. our necks. Yeah. And what we don't realize is, uh, I think somebody's another wolf story, but a guy who works at a, a pizza place in Lake Charles, one day I was reading my Bible in there, and he just stopped and talked to me, you know, and he said, man, I don't ever see anybody bring a Bible to lunch. And I said, well, you know, I said, I mean, it's a book, you know. He yeah. said, yeah, he said, I guess I just didn't, you don't see it too often at somebody eating a, a pizza. So we got to chatting and, and somehow sin came up. But I guess it, it plays into what we're talking about. He's talking about how um, some culture would actually uh, catch and kill wolves by burying a knife in the snow. Yeah, handle first. Yeah, handle first. And then the wolf would go down, they'd put something on it, and they would put a little blood on there, and the wolf would lick it. And before long, it's tasting its own blood, but it would just continue to lick the knife, you know, yeah. because it was so delicious. It would lick that blade. Yeah, lick the blade. And bleed to death. Bleed to death. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, that story at that lunch that day got me thinking about what I'm consuming. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I am, I am that wolf, and I am, every time I like and and share and and just read all of this negativity it's changing me Mm -hmm. um people are angry yeah yeah and i don't want to be that person i can't go out into the world and say love love mercy mercy and then continue to feed myself that i mean granted i don't want to not know about true atrocities and things that need to be solved yeah because i want to be able to do whatever i can do with whatever gifts i have but at the same time i don't want to just feed myself venomous language and hate language i mean i actually and that's and it got me thinking what are we what are we afraid is going to happen if we love each other what are what are we? What do you think we're afraid is going to happen? Yeah. What, what's what what's the problem here? Yeah. Are you afraid that people are going to get away with something? Are yeah. you afraid uh, that they're going to live in a way that you don't like? I mean, what's what's the big deal? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that I'm doing things that I, I mean would offend someone else in my home. I'm sure we're watching some kind of show that somebody else doesn't Myself. like. Yeah, absolutely. Listening to a song, reading books. I mean, look, I'll give you an example. And it was when I first, and this this is where I guess fortitude came in for me when I said, okay, I love Christ and I love what's happening again in my life by refocusing my energies back into a relationship with Christ, right? Mm-hmm. But for many, many years, I mean, 20 years of my spiritual journey, and I don't like to throw that around that way, but that's literally what it was, was just a spiritual journey yeah. of... 
I had an experience that I couldn't explain and I wanted to know what it was, but it didn't happen in a Christian church. I was all alone, Mm -hmm. but I felt a change take place, a pouring out of my pain and something rushed in to fill that space. And I felt peace and love and a new direction. And I felt presence of something. And Mm -hmm. I'm saying the language that as I back then understood it, something is in my life and I didn't know what I didn't even immediately say it was God. I just knew something shifted. And so to understand it, I had an eagerness to learn. Mm -hmm. And so I began to search by reading and encountering other people. And every person I met would lead me to a new source of information. And I would try to find parallels in books and scripture. I mean, what not just Christian scripture, but I mean, you know, I'm talking Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim. I was looking for an answer to what happened. Mm-hmm. And what what happened for me was I would find a, a trail in the Bible, in the New Testament, and I would follow that trail, but then I would go off and then I'd find a trail in Buddhist scriptures mm-hmm. and stories. And I started to go, well, hang on a second. All these things, they all, I'm having, I'm finding similar descriptions of what happened. So I didn't have like a home, a a faith home. Yeah. But for many, many years, I think I would probably say, and I did say, I was uh, unofficially practicing Buddhism Mm -hmm. because that particular worldview felt like it had aligned with, uh, with what I had experienced. Yeah. But... Christianity was still playing a part in my life. I was still reading Christian scripture. I grew up in a Christian church, so I still felt like I had a relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I personally all alone had no problem with these two things together in one life. It didn't, I didn't even occur to me that that was an issue. Most church people would tell you that's impossible though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I did. I come back to Christianity, and I have been, you know, went to some retreats and had some different groups I was a part of. And one night, and I'm just going to tell you a story is to make a point of, of where I ended up at. I get, I go to a group one night, and I just come out of a retreat. It was all, you know, love, brotherhood, and I was like, man, so okay, I found a home. Well, we broke off into some subgroups, and. Some of the guys that were there were new to the Christian faith. And so a lot of the first questions are, so where did you come over from? What faith did you come from? And I'm trying to be, I'm I'm honest. Mm -hmm. I don't like hiding stuff. I'd rather just put it on the table. Right. Even if it's ugly. Just let me show you what's really going on. So then you can deal with the truth and not some fake version of what I've put out there. So I fit. Mm -hmm. And so that's the question. So um, where'd you come over from? And I said, um... One guy says, you know, I was a Baptist first, you know, now I've switched over. And I said, well, how about you, Oren? And I said, well, um, I guess the, the best answer and the shortest version is I would say I was probably practicing Buddhist. Mm-hmm. And the guy says, huh, well, <clears throat> glad to have you. I'm glad God got you away from that satanic stuff. <laughs> and we moved on. Yeah. And that did not leave me that night. Right. I went home. It didn't go home and go, oh my God, was I, in, I didn't even have the thoughts. Like, was I involved in satanic stuff? I just immediately felt rejected. Yep. I went, so my whole 20 plus year faith journey back to Christ and every, and any, 
This discounts the prayers I was saying in private, which is, God, anything I learned during this journey that you don't want me to carry anymore, mm-hmm. I'll let it go. Yeah. And any lessons I learned, I will retain and give them to you. Yeah. Okay? That's my private prayer right. this whole time on my journey. And in this one moment, all that gets disreject, just gets disregarded and thrown out as that satanic stuff. Yeah. Gone. Right. Now, let me teach you what the truth is that you didn't know. You don't know nothing. Yeah. I left there feeling rejected and I'm going, I made all, you know, get all the way here. And then this is what happens. And yeah. I realize it's not this person's fault. I'm going, this is a, he's, he's just a human being just like me. Yeah. He knows what he knows. He learned what he learned. He believes what he believes. Right. I don't know where he came from, but it just made me realize how we hurt each other and how in that he didn't, he doesn't even realize and never couldn't know Yeah. all the minutia of things that just landslid down all through me at that moment. The problem that I see with a lot of people is, you know, most people believe what they believe because they believe that their beliefs are the best way to believe. The problem is most people would never consider um, taking a journey to see if what they believe is actually right or harmful to other people. And if so, changing your mind. Uh, it's, I read a study the other day that said it's easier for you to believe something than it is for you to question something and go on a journey. And to me, um, like we've made it a big deal in the church that sometimes having faith is hard. You need to make up your mind. But actually, it's really easy just to kind of believe what you're told. That That's easy. It, the, yeah. hard, the hard part right. is saying, if I, have I been taught something? Have I been taught to interpret something a certain way? Have I been taught something that's was presented to me as absolute truth? And is some of this wrong or some of this harmful to people or to myself or or leading people astray or leading me astray? It's a very difficult thing to do, but that's that's when you can experience a lot of freedom to say, I love God. I know that. It's not up to anyone else to tell me if I do or not. But all these other things I'm not real sure about, so I'm going to go on a journey. Mm. To me, like that's a beautiful place to be. It's just free because... Christ is cosmic and he's got you anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, so I always tell people like, man, like when that, that young lady told me yesterday, she's like, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm there yet. I'm like, well, you're fine. That's, yeah. that's cool. Right. Accompaniment. Yeah. You know, I think it was Pope Francis. He's, he was big on that in the Catholic church, trying to get people to accompany people wherever they're at. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, sort of accepted, but largely rejected. Yeah. And it's a good message that I think is just sort of being lost, uh, accompanying people where they're at, loving them where they're at, going to them. I don't know. It sounds like that's what you guys are doing. Yeah. And I think uh, one way that we're different is, um, I always tell people, I said, I'm not, I'm not trying. And I really hope this doesn't go over wrong. Um, I'm not necessarily trying to introduce people to Jesus. I'm trying to help people recognize that Jesus has always been there. So I'm not I'm not trying to get people to um, to if they don't have belief to all of a sudden believe. I'm just trying to get people to open up their eyes and see that the beauty of God is all around them, and that um and that it's there for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely yeah. does. I mean, you're describing what I think you'll you'll find anybody who's had some kind of an awakened experience is going to say, I mean, and I, I 
it sounds like a dead horse, but it's just something that I've used a lot as the way I frame things is that God is kaleidoscopic. You know, if in the, the bubble of space time and the universe that we're in, there's nothing new inserted and nothing is taken out, but we arise and are born and die all within that time bubble. God is kaleidoscopic within that, you know, and beauty is kaleidoscopic and goodness is kaleidoscopic. And, and even in a child's toy, I can I know that what's in the tube of that kaleidoscope hasn't really changed. But if I turn the lens a little bit, it's beauty to beauty to beauty and it's different every single mm-hmm. time. That to me is what I have experienced when I tell someone about my experience with God. That's how I that's how I've experienced God yeah. kaleidoscope. And when I've experienced Christ, that's the way it has been. It's not been Christ is here, only here looks this way, performs this way. This is the way to do it. I see just sitting and talking to you or going to different, bringing anybody in here to chat. You know, I go, I see God revealed. Yeah. Even if that person's not talking about God. I mean, I've had an artist in here. We didn't talk about God one time. But in that conversation about creativity and art and beauty and using those things to bring happiness to people, mm-hmm. God to me was in this, it was at this table. Yeah, I feel like that conversation was divine. You know, just like I feel like the conversation we're having now. Like, I'm not trying to be weird, but like in in my body right now, like I can sense that the presence of the divine is in this conversation. You know, like I don't feel judged. I don't feel uncomfortable. I don't feel uh, awkward. I, I feel peaceful. You know, I feel like Christ is here. <laughs> yeah. You know, in our I, words, I understand what you, know? you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that I've heard many times, and you brought it up. Um, there's, you know, somebody's told me, and it almost is a point of contention. You know, there's only one Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. they'll say. And, and I say this they, like, see, I, if I may digress for a moment, I even have gotten to this point where I'm trying to watch what I'm saying. Because when I say they, immediately I go, that's those little silos I was talking about. Yeah. I have then now in this moment right here with you, right after we say God is present, here I go, they say. Now that's the other. Now that's the other. Yeah. I've made the other my enemy. Yeah. And not and I don't mean that in a heavy way, but just in a subtle, it's a subtle deception that there is an enemy other. Mm-hmm. And that has just got to, for me, I see that as just like a contamination. I've got, I want that gone. It's killing our country. Oh, yeah. The other is all you hear about. Yeah. The other. Those progressives, those conservatives, those Republicans, those Democrats, yeah. those left-wingers, those right-wingers. Yeah. We're all Americans. <laughs> yeah. 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 And beyond that, yeah, you take it further, we're all human beings. I mean, we just... uh I don't know. Uh, the message of Christ to me is so much simpler sometimes than what we've made it out to be. We should love the other. And, you know, my son for my birthday bought me a license plate for the front of my truck. And it just says, love God, love uh, love others. Yeah. And I love walking out to my vehicle ever since I've had that on there. And, and a buddy of mine went to lunch with the other day and we had a, a nice loving talk. And we walked out and he looked at it. He said, love God, love others. He said, you get much more complicated than that, you got problems. Yeah, it's the two greatest commands. Mm-hmm. That, that's actually our mission statement at the water's edge. Really? It's, yeah, our mission statement is a, a three-step process. It's love God, love people, serve the community. Yeah. Those are the three things we do. We try to love God in our worship and our lifestyle. We try to love each other in community. And then we just try to serve the city, you know. But that's really also the key to happiness. Like, when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And the guy was... 
he was a lawyer, which meant he was an expert in the law. The law of God didn't mean that he was like a courtroom lawyer. But he knew what he thought the answer was, and so he's going to trick Jesus. Hey, what's the greatest commandment? Mm, yeah. and, and Christ said, well, you can really sum up everything with two things. And the second one is really just as important as the first one. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I heard a pastor say one time, his name was Andy Stanley, uh, Charles Stanley's son, really cool guy. He said, when you have peace with God and peace with people, then you have joy and happiness. He's like, but if you don't have peace with God or peace with people, then you always live in this unhappy tension, especially if you don't have peace with other people. And so that's really, that's, that's one of the reasons why those were the greatest commandments is because it brings you peace and joy and it brings the other people around you joy. Mm. Love God, peace with God, and then love people, peace with people. Yeah. Know? And those, the, that's it. That, that's the entire Bible if you wanted to know what it was. You know, if someone says, well, what, what's, what's the message of the Bible? Well, it's real easy. Love God, love others. <laughs> it does seem so simple mm-hmm. and uh, ultimately rewarding, but I think it, unfortunately it's so obscured by the so many things. And I think it's just people. People are people are the part of the solution. People are the problem. It's, yeah, because there's know. always a but. Yeah. Yeah, I love people, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm guilty. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can say I love people, but I can also say... Uh, people are the problem and I'm one of those people you know I I think I was one of the other guests I told her I said you know I don't have to go look too far to find out what's wrong with humanity because I just got to get up and brush my teeth and while I'm brushing the teeth look in the mirror mirror, because I know the seeds or portions of that are in me you know it's 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 just like those wolves though I mean what am what do you water you Mm -hmm. know yeah, what do you feed? Yeah. Yeah, I was telling Jackie the other day, I uh, said, you know, I said, I don't I don't want to watch the news right now. I said, I don't want to turn that on. I said, I don't want to hear about anything that's being said on social media about what's going on with politics yeah. or the country. I said, I just find myself getting angry. Mm. I said, and I don't I don't want to be angry with people, and I don't want to live angry. Right. I said, and I, I feel like, that's one of the reasons why I was excited to come here today, because of the good news, you know. I, I just... I feel like if we're not careful, it just starts to affect everything that we do, everything that we think about. You know, we're just always thinking about correcting people, Mm. you know, and uh, I did a, I just recently finished a series at at church that talked about how one of the things that can save us during this time is there's a little verse in the book of James that said, and during times of conflict, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Mm. And we're the opposite. We're very quick to speak and we're very slow to listen. We're, we're quick to correct and slow to understand, you know. But anytime there's a conflict, whether it's with different tribes in a nation or whether it's just with two different individuals, both people want the same thing. They want to be listened to and they want to be understood. And when we start to other people, then we don't listen to them and we don't try to understand them. Yeah. You know, because everyone feels like they have a good reason to believe what they believe and why they believe it. And uh, I always tell people, even like married couples, I say, you know, what, what, what's your goal in communication? And when it comes down to it, if you're honest, most of the time your goal in conflict is to win or to prove your point. I said, but really, honestly, if you're going to ever get anywhere and grow intimacy between you, when I say intimacy, I don't, I don't just mean sex. I just right. mean connection. Yeah, closeness, sure. Is understanding. I mean, could you imagine how conversations would be different if we sat down with people we disagreed with and said, hey, I don't I don't really want to tell you anything today about why I think you're wrong. I just would like to know 
I just like to understand, mm. you know, just help me understand. And that's all I need. That's all I want to talk about. Just, yeah. That would go a long way with people, you know. You're right. And it kind of getting back to it and bringing it back around, I mean, to what I've told you about my son. We had a conversation and I don't know if he'll ever listen to this and I hope he's not. Hope I'm not sharing too much, but you know, some of our private talks sometimes are pretty enlightening mm-hmm. because as as an other that is persecuted, as an other or seen different, you know, he uh as a young gay ma- young boy, he experiences things that I feel are, are it's kind of sad because I go, you know, when I was his age, I could have friends that were girls and friends that were boys. And he hasn't had that experience because yeah. um he Girls are easy friends for him. Yeah. But boys are afraid to be friends with him because they're afraid if they're friends with him, then people are going to think they're gay. Right. And they're not, but he's a likable guy. And he's told me, he said, it's very hard yeah. because he said, you know, there, I, there are guys that I know I would like to be friends with. I'm not attracted to them. They're not attracted to me, but they won't be my friend. Yeah in any kind of public way. They won't go hang out with me. They're not going to ask me to go to the movies. They're not going to, you know, so he's missing out on a whole slice of, of youth. Jeez. How old is he? Uh, 15. Man, that is heartbreaking. Yeah. But he's a good, but he, he deals with it, but he's alone yeah. a lot. I yeah. mean, he's alone a lot and he spends a lot of time with me and his mother and we talk and talk and talk. It's really, mm-hmm. we have a good relationship, but I, I, as his father, I think about those things and I go, you know, I, I don't realize think that we people humans realize what we're killing people by judging them and placing them as separate because we cut off all the fullness of life. Yeah. You know, here's a child who is not experiencing the fullness. He, he's filling his life up in other ways. But if there's an equal balance of things, there's these little parts, you know, if it was an equalizer, you'd see these low bars where you're going, and it's all out of fear of just getting to know somebody in the fullness of them. Yeah. You know, I don't even know where I was going. Something you said brought me to that. Um, well, it was understanding. Understanding. Trying to understand. Yeah, yeah, trying to understand another person. Right. right. So I mm-hmm. think he, he tells me that. Um, he said, I just sometimes wish that they would just look at me not as, oh, he's gay. I wish they'd just go, hey, he's Jonah. Mm-hmm. And just accept me as a person and not Jonah, who's in color guard, who does rifle and saber, and he's gay. Mm-hmm. He's like, so they put me over there, and therefore they don't get to know any of the the 80% other stuff that I'm who I am. Yeah, when straight people meet people from the gay community, most of the time their first thought and their first reaction is to label them by what they think they do in the bedroom or what they think they yeah. want to do in the bedroom. Which, I mean, for my 15-year-old son, just to jump in, is nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. So nothing. it's not even an issue. Right, yeah. You know? <laughs> but like, but gay people don't do that to straight people. Right, right. Like, oh, you're straight. I wonder what you do in the bed. No. Right. Like, my gay friends who come to our church who are deeply Christian and, and deeply gay, they're school teachers. Uh, they work for the city. They they work with homeless kids. They work for the school board. They work for Coca Cola. I mean, these people have other things about their life. They're school teachers. They're principals. Yeah. And so there's so much more to them than what you may think. Who may who who you may think they're attracted to? Yeah. <laughs> there there are all these dimensions. I mean, if I look at yeah. you, look at yourself. I look at myself. 
I'd never identify myself by my sexuality. I never, ever do. I never go, uh, well, I'm Orin and I'm straight. I never say that. (laughs) I never go, I'm Orin and I'm married to a woman. None of that ever comes up. I mean, I wear a wedding ring, so people assume I'm married. But, I mean, I don't know what kind of vibe. I don't even know what that is. And so I go, if... You know, here's my son who I guess because I have a person who's going through this, mm-hmm. it's very important. And you see things and you really go, wow, you can apply this to so many other little ways that we're not understanding people. We, we don't we, try to understand. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. like the old thing where you would see somebody in a wheelchair, the old the joke, I guess, where they talk louder to them or something. It's like, yeah. oh, talk slow and loud because you're in a wheelchair. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was, it's like that mentality is still alive in us that we don't get that. Yeah. But that person is a person, not the wheelchair. And it doesn't mean all these other things that you throw on. It's like yeah. my son, you know, he doesn't you, automatically like your son has dreams and feelings <laughs> right. and nightmares and, right. and emotions. He has a heart and a soul and a future. And, um, it's, it's a shame what we do to each other. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad to hear what you're doing at Water's Edge with that community because uh, I just guess I have a personal investment in it. It's been it's been tough, um, but to us, it's been it's been absolutely worth it because we feel like um, we're on the right side, not of culture, not of history. We feel like we're on the right side of faith. Hmm. You know. Well, and this isn't the first time we've done this. I mean, look. One story that comes up for me with the, the LGBTQ community is St. Francis and the lepers. Um, he, he was the, one of the first Catholic saints that I ever really paid attention to when I first when I first started studying Catholicism 20 years ago. And I was attracted to him, but only recently and it had old stories that I heard started to make more sense. Mm-hmm. And there's a story of... St. Francis wandering, he, he had been rejected. I mean, he'd, he'd, you know, he's wearing rags and he's wandering around and he was wandering away from the city and he hears, and he's like, what is that sound? Where is it coming from? And it was the lepers. Mm-hmm. And at the edge of the leper community, they had to stand outside the leper community with two sticks and clack to yeah. let people know. They're unclean. They're unclean. Don't yeah. come over here. And St. Francis Rather than do what society had done is reject these people, he walked. I mean, they walked into to that community and served them and cleaned them. I mean, ultimately, he got he was a leper himself. Yeah. You know, ultimately, but he still went, and that was the call of the compassion of Christ. And I, I you know, I don't know, man. That that story, for some reason, in this world that we're living in, just just nails it for me because I go, God, you know, do we not hear the clacking of the lepers? Mm -hmm. And when we do, what are we doing? Yeah. Does does another kid have to commit suicide because of us? You know, when when are we going to stop? You know? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm with you, man. A hundred percent. I feel the exact same way. Um, especially, you know, even, you know, that's a great story. But even when you look at Christ, he was doing the same thing. Right. You know, he was always going to the sick and the disease and the lepers. And the worst nickname a rabbi could have in the days of Jesus was a friend of sinners. Mm. That was a derogatory statement. You put that bad boy on your resume and your career's over, yeah. you know, and he he considered people more sacred. Yeah. Know? And you think about the early Gentiles, uh, we, we were considered unclean. We were considered not 
in. We were the right. other, you know. But God is a God who progresses. Even the scripture in the Bible, if you look at the Bible with a, a fresh set of eyes, it's a very progressive book. And what I mean by that is God is pulling us forward in the universe and in, and in human history. He's, he's not trying to get us to go back to something. And, and we think that. We think, well, mm. we could go back to the good old days. Right. You know, or, or whatever. Um, but that's that's not how God operates. God pulls us forward in something new. So like when someone would read the scripture and say, man, that seems very barbaric. Mm. It does to us now. But back then, they considered that a new idea. You mm -hmm. know, and whatever it may be. Um, and then you think about how things would always evolve and change all throughout the scripture. You know, yeah. um, even marriage. You know, first you started off with Adam and Eve. And then... Marriage ended up being all these different sets of rules in the scripture, like scripture, biblical Old Testament marriage. You had to marry your rapist because sex is what consummated marriage back in the Bible days. We don't do that anymore. Yeah, if your husband died, then you had to marry his brother, your brother-in-law. We don't do that anymore. Solomon had 300 wives and 700 mistresses, and God didn't even condemn him for it. We don't do that anymore, unless you're a Mormon, you know. And then in the New Testament, by the time you get there... They're all arranged, and the wife is a slave of the husband. She, he, he purchased her from the family, so that's his property. Um, and our wives aren't our slaves anymore. Like that's not, that's not what we do anymore. And so that was what they knew back then, and God would work in those constraints. But his goal was to pull us forward, you know. And that's something I love about God. So like that word progressive or progression is not a bad word to me because mm -hmm. God is called he, – he brings – progress to our life it's very interesting you know a lot of what we talked about and things you're saying uh came up today in our early morning conversation and you know trying to compare it to what you're talking about i said you know if you it's like a chemical reaction you know we've got a battery mm -hmm. and the battery in and of itself is just sort of latent and when you put it in a device, you know, a chemical reaction, a chemical, something's happening for the energy to come out of that battery and for this device to come on. But until we're, we're, we're more concerned with the result, right. you know, okay, so we put the battery in, we turn the power on, and this all happens just in a snap. But if you stretch that out over time and you could just see it as like silly putty, that whole reaction of the battery the turning on the device and the reaction that takes place. We're like somewhere in the middle of that reaction. There's something being born on the other end when this device comes on, this energy, this new thing. But we're in dead center of that transformation. Yeah. And so we, we, we tend to think, well, 2,000 years ago, Christ was born and, you know, all things need to be made new. And, and it's such a I, – I don't even – delude myself into thinking that I haven't comp can comprehend this because that's only 2000 years. Who's to say that there are 10,000 more years ahead of us Right. for, for the church and the body of Christ to continue this, the chemical reaction yeah. to continue to make the formation of something new as a God outside of time sees it. As I heard a pastor say the other day, the end is like the beginning to yeah. God, but we're somewhere in this, in there and we don't know where we where on that timeline we are but it, we have a problem with that I think. it's almost like a blip too i mean because you think about it um the first humans that we know of date back to around four hundred thousand years ago 
And that's not really up for discussion. Like, that's science, just like these chairs are real. Like, that's been proven through DNA and everything, you know. And then, so, you think about before we even showed up. Like, that's sort of a recent thing in history. Yeah. 400,000 All of years. a sudden, life. I mean, the Precambrian yeah. explosion. Yeah, it's like, right. all of a sudden, this all this stuff starts happening. Yeah. And then, the first Hebrew Jewish scripture didn't show up maybe 8,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago. So you're talking about humans being here hundreds of thousands of years before the first even scripture showed up, which means God is so much bigger than what we know, you know, yeah. and, and what we've studied and what we've learned. And so like the experience that we can have is really unlimited, you know, like in it and, um, and, and he's, he's, he's a God that is a God of love, but he's also a God that's trying to pull us forward. Mm-hmm. You know, even the universe is expanding. It's yeah, kind of, we're still, it's right. Yeah, you trace that back, it comes back to a beginning point, but right now it's, it's, it's going forward. You know, yeah. it's, it's expanding, and so that's who he is. You still, know? still growing and still making. I mean, we're still being made and unfolded. I fully believe yeah. that, too. I really do. I think that it's just difficult because, uh, and it's possibly because of the world we've created. The systems we've made, you know, my wife and I were talking about that today. Why, why does nature bring you peace? You know, why does watching sunrises and sunsets and, and watching the seasons change? All those things, I, I believe they bring us peace because they're in the, in God's time. They're they're more in, in tune with the, the paces that God put in place. And all that stuff's inside our own bodies, too. So yeah. when we get out of whack with that, I think we're really getting out of whack with the divinity. Yeah. And you know, everything else that we've tend to make is against that. It's, you know, we, we rise on clocks and we set on clocks and we, we're now we're living in a 24 hour world, mm-hmm. um, always on everything is kind of jammed up against that. You know, don't look at nature, stay in this sort of system of stop and go and rise and sleep, you know, feed it. It's a system that we've made. We've just yeah. made it, you know? And so if we broke it, and went back just a little bit more. I think we'd have a lot more peace. I really do. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't know what our resistance is to it. And I think it's just habit energy, probably. Yeah. Some of it's just good old fashioned, just getting jammed up in something. Yeah. You know, just straight up, just like, hey, I don't want to listen to bad news anymore. But if you don't ever question it, you just keep feeding it. And then, you know, you wake up. Somebody told me the other day about the show, uh, some a comment on a thread, you know, said, uh, well, this shows sure is a different perspective, and it was kind of with a little uh, jab included in that. And I said, "Well, I hope that's a good thing." And it's yeah, sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that maybe that's the truth is is that sometimes a change of perspective is good, and sometimes maybe maybe it's not. I for me, when I'm chat, my perspectives are challenged. There, it isn't always a good thing at first. Right. Sometimes it's it kind of gets you jammed up because you're going, "Whoa, maybe I'm not." Uh, maybe maybe I'm not ready for this, first of all, because if I fully believe this or begin to go down this train of thought, if I believe it, it means some things are going to have to change. Yeah. Like, I'm going to have to, you know, like, I'll tell you, like something I struggle with as a Christian, and this is a weird thing. I went to a thing one night, and a lady threw a plastic bottle in a trash can, and she looked at her friend, she goes, is, uh, is that a sin? Mm-hmm. You know, throwing that plastic bottle away. And I was not in the conversation, but in line I went, yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. I really did. I went, yeah. But not maybe in the context of the way we traditionally think about it, but I thought, yeah, throwing plastic in the ground is probably a sin. Not in like a 
commandment type sin, but we're sort of going, yeah, nature, whatever. I don't give a crap. God, you made it, but nah. Yeah. I don't care about you. Right. So on some level, yeah, it is. But if you go down that train of thinking and you keep going, everything has to change. Yeah. You got to stop using plastic. You got to start recycling. Right. You got to quit driving your car. Right. You got to quit using synthetics. You got to, you know, you start, you know where I'm going? Oh, yeah. And I think you can get jammed up, like, and Absolutely. do nothing. It becomes another insurmountable thing. It's like, oh, gosh, there's this giant chain reaction of problems. Mm-hmm. What can I even do? How do I do something? And so I'm always impressed, I guess, where I'm going with this is when I meet people at this table who just say, I'm going to do something. And they just do it yeah. because so many people struggle with that thing. What can I do to make the world good and better? Yeah. Instead of just laying around and being in this chain reaction of things that I'm out of control, you know, and I'm just rolling along till I'm dead. I wouldn't be happy unless I was helping people somehow. You know, I, I feel like, I mean, I'm sure I could find a way to be happy, but I'm saying like there's something in me that pushes me to do something that helps people. Um, even if it's not like a spiritual thing, just something that helps. That's uh, that's something that I feel like God created me to do, you know, was just to be helpful. Yeah. And I find a, a great sense of, of peace in that, you know. And so something that I came to grips with was people are going to, not like me for who I am and people are going to not like me for who I'm not. So I might as well just be who I am and just, just help people. You know, one one of my friends told me the other day, his guy went to high school with and he showed up at church, hadn't seen him in years. And I said, man, you want to come to the house and eat some lunch and catch up? He's like, yeah. And he told me something. He's like, Tony, he's like, you, you have always helped me understand that it's okay to mess up and still love God. And uh, I knew what he was getting at. I, I knew he was getting at the fact that he had been made to feel, because of some of his weaknesses in life, that he did, probably didn't really know who God was, you know, and he was out, you know, he was the other. But I've also known this guy for years and knowing that he has a very sincere heart and he, he really does have this this drive in him to know who God is and to do to serve God and to help people, you know. Um, he's just got some vices, you know, and, uh, and I think that's true for all of us, you know, like God created us as individuals. He even told Peter when he said, follow me. And Peter said, well, what about John? He's like, I'm not talking about John. I'm talking about you, you, you follow me. And to me, I think discipleship is really just a calling to understand how human you are. Like it's to embrace our humanity and to be fully human and fully present and to treat others like they're fully human and fully present. And to be the unique self that God created you to be. Because, you know, take your son Jonah. He has a gift to offer this world that no one else can. Um, I'm not saying what that is, but sure. it's just in him. Whatever it is, there's a gift that he, in his personality. You know, like I'm an introvert. So, you know, talking with groups of people, being at socials or parties, I'm the one who's in the corner on my phone. Like I, I'm scared of people, you know. Um, one-on-one, if we can get past surface talk, I'm really good. I enjoy that. I like to go deeper with people. But I'm an introvert, and I remember growing up thinking that, that was a bad quality about me, that I was shy, I didn't have an out, outgoing personality, couldn't really talk to people or strike up conversations. I was scared of people and intimidated. And I, one of my friends told me one time, he's like, yeah, but introverts are leaders, and it's a unique gift that you need to offer the world because introverts also have empathy and 
empathy is what makes someone a good person. So you just need to go ahead and embrace it and be your true self, you know? And I thought, mm. that's true, you know, because my whole life I was like, I need to have a dynamic personality so I can win everybody to Jesus in the Walmart parking lot or, or <laughs> so I can, you know, uh, be successful and know how to win friends and influence people and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you right. know? And I was just like, that's not me. Like, I'm exhausted when I'm around people. I, it's it's hard for me on Sunday mornings when church is over to greet the 1,500 people and talk to people. I do it because God's called me to do it, and I, I love them. But um, it feels like I've ran seven miles when it's over. Yeah. Because my personality is to think and to contemplate mm. and to write mm. and to uh, and to create. We have a lot in common. Yeah. I'm I, listening I, I to you going, you. I can relate to all of that. Yeah, I, mean, like, I really can. The, I feel so much fulfillment sitting down and writing something that I can share with people or, or creating a short film. You know, my brother yeah. and I do a lot of short films and yeah. stuff. Um, I, I get that because I feel like it's something beautiful that I can offer to help people. Um, but if you were to be like, hey, man, tonight we have 15 people over. We're going to eat pizza and we're going to play video games and play board games. Y'all want to come? I'd be like, no, nah, I don't. <laughs> I'm actually similar to that. I've uh, struggled with, uh, and I think I may have talked about it before on the show, but that I've struggled with that same thing. I, I always just chalked it up as social anxiety a little bit, mm-hmm. but I've always had, I was more of an introvert, but I've kind of had to force myself to be an extrovert in all the different roles I seem to play. And I end up in leadership roles. I tend to burn myself out really fast mm-hmm. though, if I don't watch it with that kind of thing, because I, I all that, because when I do it, I've been, I'm introverted for so long mm-hmm. that when I get in that position to use creativity and art and write and all that stuff, and then like make something happen, it just goes, 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 goes really fast. Mm-hmm. And all this energy sort of builds up. And I think it's just cause it's pent up. Yeah. Uh, but I struggle with the small group. Um, actually I kind of struggle with social settings. Yeah, I do too. I just struggle with them because I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is because I I think that a lot of times I want to have this more. I enjoy and get a lot out of the one-on-one deep scratching, digging, sharing, even if it's with about something I'm don't know anything about, right? especially sometimes because I learn so much. Small talk is exhausting to me. I'm not good at it. Yeah, how's the weather? How's the game? Did LSU, you watch the game? Saints, you know, all that kind of stuff, which I love all that, but I'm just like, man, I, 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 I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at that either. I'm very, I, I like deep conversation, and I like, um, unfortunately, I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, but sharing people's pain with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did this prayer walk for a while, and I'm kind of taking a break from it right now because I'm just... I guess you'd call it a crisis of faith. I'm just not sure where to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people who were coming had pain. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, a many were rejected or on the outside, maybe not flat out rejected, but just a little bit in the orbits and not fully in, uh, in their church community, wherever it may be. And all, almost all of them were harboring something that hurt. Mm-hmm. And the real blessing of that prayer group was, what would happen after yeah. the, the, the walk itself would build towards something and the people who would remain would end up sharing a lot of pain. And there were a lot of tears and a lot of long conversations. And I felt that was where I felt the most fulfilled, you know, and that's empathy that you feel. Um, I heard, um, a comedian and the musician, is it Donald Glover, childish Gambino? Yeah. Donald yeah, yeah. Glover. I, I was watching a stand up of his, I never know what to call him. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
but he said that, and he uh, he was right. He said that the one thing that makes someone a good person is empathy. And I've come to realize that I think that's true also. Like someone can be a hard worker, they can be a faithful church member, they can provide for their family, um, they can have on the outside, you know, extremely moral looking life. But if they lack empathy, which is the ability to feel people's hurt and to hurt with them, um, yeah. they're probably not that good of a person. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and I don't mean that to other them. All I'm simply saying is people who take pride in telling it like it is, speaking my mind, telling you the truth, if it offends you or not, a lot of times that comes from a lack of empathy to, to not fully understand what the other person is going through, what they're feeling, why they're feeling that, what they went through to cause that pain to get down on that level. And so a lot of times if you're not able, and I think people can tap into that. I don't mm. think you're just born with it or not. I think you can develop it. But that was something that I, it, it burnt me out too. You know, I had to take a few months off a while back because if someone would come to me and say, Tony, I, I'm thinking about committing suicide. Well, I wouldn't just listen to him. I would feel it and I would go home and try to fix it. If someone said, I'm about to lose my house. Well, I wouldn't just pray for him I would go home and I would feel it and I would I wouldn't sleep at night you know yeah. and I would try to figure out a way to get this house now you know what I'm saying and it was just exhausting but it was something that I couldn't unplug and turn off because if you tell me something's going on and it hurts you sure I'm gonna hurt with you I get you know? it I mean that is actually what compassion means to suffer with yeah. you know and I think for me uh that's probably why I landed on Buddhism mm -hmm. for so long. And I'll tell you just short, a short story. <laughs> uh, I landed on a Buddhist prayer that when I heard it, it just vibrated with my heart. I don't know any other way to say this, but years of saying that prayer, I mean, I made it a point to memorize. It's very long. I made a point to memorize it because I, I, the first time I heard it, I just stopped. It stopped me. Mm -hmm. It stopped my heart. And I went, this is what I've been feeling. And after years of saying that prayer, I started to realize when I would say this prayer, I wasn't thinking Buddhist thoughts. I was thinking of Christ the hmm. whole time. I remember being at the hospital for a relative one time in Houston, and I was alone in the parking garage kind of standing out, and the name of the hospital was St. Something or Other. And I was in the hospital and thinking about it. It was a charity hospital, and I was like, this is that this standing in this hospital is the fulfillment of this Buddhist prayer, which is the fulfillment of, of Christ. Ultimately, yeah. they're serving these people. And it said something and I, I won't, I'll share it because it's, I think it's important and you might, it goes into what you're talking about, about empathy, but it says, uh, you may have even heard it. It says, um, with folded hands, I beseech the Buddhas of all directions to shine the lamp of truth for all bewildered and misery's gloom. With folded hands, I beseech those who wish to pass away to please remain for countless eons and not to leave the world in darkness. May a rain of food and drink descend to clear away the pain of thirst and hunger. And during aeons of famine, may I myself change into food and drink. Mm. May I be an inexhaustible treasure for all who are poor and destitute. May I become all things they could need, and may these be placed close beside them. Without any sense of loss, I shall give up my body and enjoyments, as well as all my virtues of the three times, for the sake of benefiting all. 
And by giving up all, sorrow is transcended, and my mind will realize the sorrowless state. And it just goes on and on and on. May I be a bridge, a boat, a ship for all who wish to cross the water. Mm -hmm. An island for those who seek one, a lamp for those desiring light, a bed for those who wish to rest, and a slave for all who want a slave. And it goes on and on in this sort of unfolding manner. And then it gets to this part where it says, uh, may I, may my body just become a source of jest and blame, you know, mm. what use am I to hold it dear? Yeah. And as I listened to that and read it year after year, I, I, I just Christ, Christ, mm-hmm. Christ. And then also I need to do this. I lay down my life. I need to serve. I need to be a bed. I need to listen and love and take the pain to give it. And I have someone to help carry me, carry it with me because he gives me the strength. And, you know, it, it fulfilled me in that sense. And so for years and years, I think that probably is what kept me in a Buddhist frame of mind. But little did I know what was happening was it was just peeling open my heart. Mm-hmm. And ultimately I would find the answer to that prayer, the full image of that prayer in Christ. Yeah. You know? And so I don't know why I told you that. I guess ultimately just to say that empathy and suffering yeah. with was all a part of that prayer. It's amazing how empathy, if you're not careful, and this is a good thing, it can really cause you to change or at least evaluate a lot of things that you believe about people. Mm. You know, because because you realize with empathy that people are more than what you think they are and what you see that they are. There's there's a soul there. Yeah. And in that soul, there's scars and wounds mm. and pain and dreams and inspiration. And God loves that person. You know, like when it says, For God so loved the world in John 3.16, the term world means the cosmos. So it means all of creation and everyone in it. For God so loved the world, you know. And uh, to me, that's that's where I try to start. Something interesting, Orin, that you may want to look up one day, too, is for some reason, statistically, uh, uh, introverts make the most effective leaders. Hmm. And most of that comes down to their ability to show empathy, hmm. you know, and because they retreat a lot and they think through everything, you know, they think and they, they, think and they create, they think and they create. So it causes them to step out and have courage once they've created something that they want to release on the world. <laughs> Interesting. And courage is really the one thing you need to be a leader because when you're willing to do what everyone else is afraid to do, it sets you aside in their mind as a leader because you just did what they're afraid to do. Yeah. You know, think about little David and Goliath. Everyone was afraid to face him. And he's like, I will. <laughs> Give me yeah. my slingshot. You know, I think it's not knowing for me is I've found a lot more solace as I get older and I finally begin to understand, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. And I've taken comfort in the mystery of not fully knowing. I say that all the time now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know. And I think sometimes going back and I speak about this cause I'm in it is going back to the Christian church. I think we would do a lot more good when say my friends whose son just killed himself. Um, I think we would do a lot more good if we just said, I, I don't know instead of, well, let go and let God or, God's in control or God's on his throne or all those bumper sticker answers that we give people. Sure. Or why did this happen? Well, let me tell you about this and this and about, and I just think sometimes it's best to just say, I really, I don't have many answers right now. I'm just, I'm just with you. Yeah. I I just want to sit with you. I'm just with you, you know? Yeah. And to me that just, 
I think that has that has made more of an impact on people when I've told them I'm like I don't know, but we're here, you know, when we're your family, you know. So, for people who want to find out or actually come to Water's Edge and find out what it's about, how do they? What's the best way to? Is it just to come, or was there a place where they can go to find out? If they want to kind of like pre-check it out, they can go to our Facebook uh, page, which is Water's Edge Gathering. Mm-hmm. And there's uh my videos are there from my Sunday morning oh. Sunday morning messages. Awesome. Uh, okay. They're usually about twenty five minutes long. I don't go too too long. Um so they can check out the messages before they come. Um the worship team is a very dynamic group of musicians, so you don't get that on the video for copyright issues, but they're amazing. But on Sunday mornings, uh we have two services, nine thirty and eleven fifteen. They're mm-hmm. identical services. Okay. Um Every Thursday, we have a food pantry from 11 to 2 p.m. On Wednesday nights from 5.30 to 7.15, our teenagers take over the place. And uh, then we have a website, watersedgegathering.com. They can go to all of our video sermons are on there, our values, um, all those types of things. They can go to the website and find that out, too. What about uh, the name? I'm curious about the name. Cool. Okay, so uh, when my little brother and I, his name's Ryan, when we were in Jennings uh, serving together at a church and we were praying through if we should come back to Lake Charles and start the, a church, um, there was a song that we would listen to by a worship leader named David Crowder. Okay. And David Crowder had this song called Come and Listen. And one of the, one of the lyrics was, Come to the water's edge, all you who know and, and love the Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, my little brother Ryan said, man, the water's edge. He's like, that's kind of cool. And I said, yeah. And I started thinking about it. And I said, you know, God did some really great things in the scripture at the edge of the water. You Mm. know, there was the parting of the sea. Um, The nation crossed over the Jordan River, you know, when when the priest, it says when the priest stepped into the edge of the water, it dried up. And then the first time Jesus met his first disciples, Peter, James, and John, it said he met them at the edge of the lake or at the edge of the water. Mm -hmm. And then Lake Charles sits on the edge of the lake. Yeah. And so we thought, man, that's cool. You know, it's something that relates to our community. It says that we love our community. We have pride in our community, Lake Charles. Yeah. But then it also is a faith statement for us that sometimes you have to take a a chance and just step out and risk it and just step into the edge of the water and see what God does. Well, and you know, that's right. And and you're going to the edges of society, too. I mean, there's people out there on the edge. They may not be in the water with you yet, but they need people there, too. Yeah, and we're there for them and stand with them. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, you kind of make me think of, I got to tell you, my one, uh, I wrote one joke in my life, and it was a Christian joke. (laughs) And I don't think it, no, some people love it and some people hate it, but I'll, uh, you see that painting in the hall right there. Yeah. So what did, uh, what did, what did, um, God say to Moses and the Israelites whenever they got to the Red Sea? What's that? Let's split. (laughs) You like that? Yeah. Let's split. Yeah. Let's split it up. Let's split, man. No, and actually, one we used to tell that joke around here. I used to tell it, pedal that to everybody. I was like, man, I think I got me a good joke here. Let's split. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it has the double meaning. But then a buddy of mine, a good Christian friend, he he and I started talking. And he said, man, he said, that joke actually works, like, for a lot of different biblical stories. It's like, you know, what did uh, God say whenever he was, you know, creating the heavens and the earth? Let's split. What did he say when he's making day yeah. and night? Let's split. What did Jesus say at the Last Supper with the bread? Let's split. You know, yeah. he's like, hey, you got a, you got a, a universal Christian joke. There. What did he say to the first Adams? <laughs> Let's split. <laughs> Let's split. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. No, I had to get that out there, man. I've been waiting to share that online on air for a long time. And sometimes <laughs> I want to show up at some of these open mic comedy things and try my stand up, but uh, I'm not going to. Oh my gosh, that's I, I don't know how those people have the courage. I don't honestly. I'll tell you, I think doing what you do is very courageous because I don't know that I could do that. I mean, even the little prayer group that the walk that we did, uh, I didn't even think about it when mm-hmm. we started doing it that, Oh, somebody's got to talk yeah, and somebody's got to organize this and be the center of attention. And it didn't even occur to me that that was what was happening. And so I just sort of fell in the role and then, uh, you don't realize the, I, I guess I, in a small little way, I guess what I'm saying is I think it's, it can be heavy sometimes. It's heavy. I resigned as my senior class president in high school because I couldn't speak in front of crowds. Yeah. And then when I felt like I was being called into the ministry, my first thought was, no, I can't do this, you know. So it's, it's a lot of hard work on me to try to prepare myself to get up in front of people and teach and things like that, or even just to sit with people. Um, but it's uh, it's something that God has used, you know. And so I feel like I'm very limited in it, in my abilities. I don't, I don't, I don't memorize things well. I, I don't. I'm not a, that great of like a public orator, you know. I don't have the big booming voice. Um, but when I get up, I just talk about what I'm going through. Sure. And most of the time, people say, "Man, you were talking to me." <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I just try to speak from the heart, and if it if it hits my heart, then it's going to hit theirs too. Yeah, that's know? that's right. I actually find I think I agree with that. I think you have to. It's just like what you said about my son or anybody else who's going through anything. God's creating a, a gift and a virtue inside of a person uh, when they go through those things. And it becomes a blessing for somebody else. Yeah. I mean, and there is no greater gift than you're taking a suffering that maybe you had and transforming it into gold for somebody else. Because, I mean, you can change lives like that. Yeah, absolutely. From the heart. Well, man, this has yeah. been awesome. Oh, I'm glad you came on, man. Look, you can come back anytime. I could visit. We've been going for two and a half hours. That's good, man. This is cool. Yeah, yeah. we can come back and we can get in some deep stuff. Yeah. I love-